0: So when we turned up on finals day it was a totally different vibe it was a tailwind perfect exactly what we'd been expecting for four years and we knew what we wanted to do we're gonna go out hard we're gonna really take the race by the scruff of the neck we're gonna we're gonna try and lead it and when we went off the start in that final first stroke tom barris absolutely booted the head out of that boat i was like hang on a minute this is a fast start but it was just manic like it's rough It's Kind of frantic there's bits of splash and this and that going on italy caught a massive boat stopper just as they had taken the lead i remember the last sort of 10 strokes thinking this is my last 10 strokes i'm going to do a british rowing. this we're so close we can win a, a medal here and we crossed the line and just heard a beep and then like beep 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 and initially it was like we screwed up we've nailed this race almost perfectly and we've just finished four a moment later i heard a big roar from behind looked up and saw the scoreboard and toward GBR next number two, we went mental in that boat.
1: Hey, what is up? Welcome to Last Show Counts. We're in a pretty special place today for a very special episode with our first Olympic medalist, Please welcome Jack Beaumont to the podcast.
0: Well, thanks for coming, Jack. Well, thanks very much for coming to me. Well, um, I, I drove a hard bargain when you said, "Oh, we record in Oxford." I said, "Well, I'm not doing it in Oxford. <laughs> I work in Henley. I live in Maidenhead." But thanks very much for coming to, well, all of our club. Yeah, yeah. great to great to be here. Great to be here with you all we did our first we did our first kind of test
2: one here but we had we didn't have good lights and it just didn't go very well at all the mics yeah, got Greg. the
1: mics got lost uh, i had to like piece together the audio we just we just scrapped it and then we started recording in oxford it was just easier
0: and for, for, for the purposes of anyone watching or listening we actually um so there's been some makeshift um lighting done in here tom's climbed up and put some cushions over the windows cause it's really bright outside and we looked uh, pretty pale
2: didn't we basically pete does technical stuff and i'm on logistics so paint
1: cans and sofa cushions (laughs) i'm doing that bit yeah we 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 make do yeah Uh, well i'm really excited for today's episode like obviously when we spoke about creating this podcast like you were literally at one of the first people that came to mind like obviously you're an idol of mine and a total legend of the sport total legend of this club so it's just i think it's just going to be great to have a chat and obviously you've done done some pretty impressive things like you've got an amazing record like i think yeah let's let's
2: go i mean usually i feel bad that i can't like memorize people's records, but this one is like uh it's pretty impressive so two junior world championships 2010 2011 four under 23 world championships including a bronze in the double that was 2012 to 2015 uh three senior world championships including a silver in the quad in 2017 nine back-to-back henley wins from 2012 to 2021 which is unbelievable we knew it we thought it was five or six but nine that's just unreal and then obviously to finish two Olympic Games with uh, Rio and Tokyo fifth at Rio and second with the, the silver medal in Tokyo so I mean that's just the career that's, to end all career that's
0: unbelievable mate like, it was an awesome time I loved it I loved it so much and um, and, and stepping away was a difficult thing to do uh, if I could go back to being 20 years old and do that that sort of seven years again 100% percent i do it in a heartbeat Yeah, I, I would have done it in a heartbeat, it was great
2: It's better, like, yeah, I met like, when you're 20 it's like, there's no other pressure, you don't have to have a house, no one's telling you you need a good job you can just go for it
0: and, like, just see how it goes It was so cool, and to do it with such great people as well, right yeah. Like, um, the guys today are flying off to this sun Okay, I chose to not still be doing that but there's a bit of me that would love to be out in this sun and, you know, flying off around the world to go and race against the best in the world It was a, it was a cool, a cool lifestyle yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine.
2: Awesome. And I mean, with the success you've had as well, like that's just, uh yeah, the, the, the icing on the cake, I guess. Yeah.
1: Well, this kind of record only deserves one reaction before we like get started into
0: your story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it'd be if we'd not managed to get the silver medal in Tokyo. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's a bit of a, a well-known Jack uh, catchphrase around around Leander. Jack, Jack noise
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah. I communicate in noises I don't I don't I don't use words just sounds no I don't I remember being peak peak and trough with the two ones that I can still hear you and they actually both mean the
2: same thing <laughs> I remember that conversation going you trying to explain to someone in the Leander
0: crew room that the the, the best thing you can ever do is is talk in a way that no one can understand yes
2: yeah. <laughs> that no one can pull you up on it yeah
0: because it's like well that's not you don't understand what I meant it's their fault not mine Exactly. Uh cool. So should we yeah, as we as we normally start, like talk about how how he got into rowing. It's the yeah as well. Okay, so so my my dad was an Olympic rower. He's an Olympian from the Seoul Olympics and he finished in fourth place. And I, I grew up as a young kid thinking that's normal. Like everyone's dad probably went to the Olympics, right? Because my dad did. And then I started to realize it wasn't normal and that actually it was pretty cool what he had done. Um, I was around rowing from a young age, so so it was Henley Regatta last week. I've probably been going every year, well as long as I can remember. I've been going. I remember as a young kid watching the ladies play and laughing at the fact that there was a bunch of guys in an event called the ladies, <laughs> finding it kind of weird. Um, so I, I knew about the sport. I was, I remember sort of getting autographs of the men's four uh, just before the Athens Olympics when they when they won here at Henley, and sort of knew knew what was going on. Was was surrounded by it. But wasn't that interested in doing it myself until I was about ten ten years old, and my dad brought me down to the rowing club in maidenhead and did the learn to row course. It was pretty fun i uh splashed around a bit, caught a load of crabs did that was rowing in these sort of tub boats but it was it was pretty nice and enjoyed it and uh yeah maidenhead was was my was my first stop and um it was a great club I really really loved rowing there apart from my first ever race. So my first ever race, we did Maidenhead Junior Regatta, which is a lovely event. It's, um, it's really for beginners. So everyone gets a second race. Like, even if you lose your heat, they build like a repercharge system. So you can kind of lo- lose your first one and, and, and have a chance to go again. And we did that. We went through the repercharge in my quad and somehow made the final. But at, at that age, you race, boys and girls raced against each other. And we got through to the final against Maidenhead Junior Girls thought we were going to nail it because it's the girls and we got absolutely smoked so um that was a sort of you know my baptism of fire into row. <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh
2: like sometimes it goes that way i've had funny funny races like when you get matched up in novice events and it would have been like a j14 crew against like some big university lads and we were sort of scared on the start i think like they're absolutely huge and then they just caught like six crabs in the first six strokes yeah, <laughs> and then we it off like yeah it's different down the bottom like there's so, so much skill involved as well
0: well yeah exactly exactly it's like well we probably actually no we probably weren't even as strong as those girls because i think um don't quote me i'm not a scientist but i think that in that that age uh young girls develop a little bit quicker than boys too but anyway yeah. they they absolutely brushed us under the carpet Right, I bet! I bet they have never let that go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what. There's, there's my next couple of races later. I was racing in um, in a single at Pangborn Junior Skulls. I think I came about four. Uh, I, the people I lost to were Tom Barris, who's um, you know pretty good now, very good. My my uh, teammate in the Tokyo Olympics. I lost to Tom Barris. I lost to a guy called Rupert Chitty, and I lost to his sister Anastasia Chitty. Who deaf and she she was in the team with me for years, right? She never let me forget it. Yeah, but I never let her forget the th- fact that I actually thought she was a boy. <laughs> There's a
1: trade-off. Yeah, that's one expression that I haven't heard in a while. Brushed under the carpet. Yeah, you got
0: absolutely brushed.
1: Yeah, uh, the Leander linger comes back. Uh, it doesn't. It, it only makes sense
2: to those who are who are speaking it, but it doesn't make much sense to anyone else around it. In general, rowing rowing has its own language, which is absolutely insane. It
0: does. It does have its
2: own language. When we started, when I started coaching a little bit after I finished, and like all these words that you've just used, so like just like has been p- part of your language, and then you like realize like, oh not Everyone's looking at me like I haven't got a clue what I'm
0: saying. I'm like having to explain like... Oh, so it's like-, like the jargon It's like... A, well, even words just like split. And um, like we, we, we say, you know, when you're setting up your boat, you say you need to move your feet. But it's not your feet. It's yeah. shoes yeah. and footplate. Yeah. But you say you're going to move your feet. There's lots of things you kind of get used to saying that aren't right into a passerby or a beginner. It's wrong, yeah, yeah. It's confusing. And we just kind of get drawn into this laziness, I think, of... <laughs> just raises. this so i guess you like you're in that world it's what we talked about
2: before it's one of those sports where like no one's like half in like when yeah. you when you as soon as you like fall for rowing like that's it like kind of becomes your world so like you just spend all your time with rowers and like we used to like try and ban rowing chat on the night out and then half an hour later someone's talking about the 500 meter splits and you're like yeah, it's imp- no,
0: it's impossible it's your passion yeah and then you don't, yeah you don't you don't half you don't half row, do you? Yeah, yeah even now i've like look at my hands like they're they're all rough (laughs) i still crack on and go and do quite a bit of rowing and even though i don't do it full time i'm wondering about it i'm thinking about it and imagining how it feels in boats we all drive over bridges and look and imagine can you row on it Uh, like i think uh, we all do that yeah that's the the conditions
1: that's that's the fact yeah
0: Yeah. you're hoping to see some really flat (laughs) some really some like you know lake porn or if you see a nice bit and then you're yeah, I'll
1: get out on that. I think mm. the only exception is the Tideway, though. You'd never drive over that and think, hmm,
0: oh, shallow. There's occasions, it. there are occasions still. Well, when you were allowed to drive over Hammersmith Bridge, yeah, you'd look over and be like, wow, oh, that actually looks all right. I wouldn't, mind, wouldn't mind an ace head today. Just
2: about, <laughs> yeah, just about any other day apart from ace head. Generally, the Tideway looks all right. It's, it's only on ace head does it <laughs> kick up. Cool. So, Maidenhead, then, uh, that took you to Junior Worlds then, uh, with that cup.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah as I said learned to row when I was about 10 kind of took a little little bit of time with it on the back seat I didn't want to like there were so many things you want to do when you're that age right you want to play rugby you want to play hockey you want to swim you want to hang out with your mates like you don't and and rowing was something I did maybe once a week or not even every week but it was fun um but as I got a bit older I started to realize that I was quite competitive and I would be good at pushing myself and um there was quite a decent bunch of like older juniors than me in the in the club. So there was um and, and they were all being coached by a guy called Tom Drost who's now at Claire's Court School. Total legend. We're yeah, gonna get him um, on. Absolute legend. And um and there was one time I'd been at I'd been racing at Marlowe Regatta, the one in Marlowe, yeah. right? And um I I don't know what I'd been racing in, junior J fourteen singles or something. And um I got a call from from Josty saying that they were seat racing the following morning for their henley quads and asked if i fancied getting involved i was like well yeah all right um so i went down to dawny lake the next day and we had a couple of quads out and um and i got switched with one of the guys that was in the b crew at the time and um and i won the seat race which was an absolute shock And, and that meant that i was going to be in one of the crews to try and qualify for the 40 challenge cup and i didn't qualify so that was 2009 that was um my first ever run down the Henley track. We didn't qualify. Um no, sorry, it's two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight. They didn't qualify. We we're pretty disappointed. But from then on I kind of thought, well, I can race up an age group against these sort of people or a few age groups as it was then. And I like I'd like to to push it. And Josty was a great coach. He just he knew how to make us end ourselves. Though he he taught us to be able to just go and go and go and go and some of the training was seriously hard like I remember like throwing up after go sessions and okay I continued doing that all the way through my career but it was like there were sessions that I would dread but we would go and do them and like if there's one thing I learned from from him it was like you can absolutely turn up and nail yourself and if you're willing to do that you, you, you know you're always going to get the best from from yourself so uh, yeah I had, had a great time there Yeah, two, went to two junior world championships. We finished, um, fourth and seventh, which both of which we were disappointed in, but it was all part of like in the sort of British rowing at the time, sculling was kind of on the up. Like the British sculling team had been bouncing around in similar sorts of positions to where we came, hadn't won any world championship medals in the quad yet, and was, it was sort of a project coming on with a lot of world-class start athletes and, you know, we were, we were excited to be a part of it hmm. yeah no I think yeah around that time we spoke with John
2: like um, in 2009 uh, my first under 23 John they didn't even take like, a quad. yeah uh, yeah, exactly then, the yeah in the same year they didn't take a junior quad yeah. either yeah and then 2010 they bring a full team and you could just kind of see the rise of it then and like even the same thing at Leander like when I joined in 08 like there was no scullings team yeah. like the people didn't do it
0: which and, is crazy to think now when you think yeah. like if you think of development sculling where would you do it if you have a brain cell, you'd be at the end of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you're literally from that. I mean, I can't remember whether
2: what, when the first, what was probably one, I know it would have been more than 10 years ago. The first time they won the quad with like Jack, Jack Hockley and Phil Turner and then yeah. those boys. When was that? Like 10,
0: 10? Yeah. That would have been before. That's probably 2009. Nine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry. I've got uh, my phones on loud. Right. Um, I thought I had it on silent. No worries. And it's Will Satch. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Saying something stupid, I'm sure. <laughs> That student of academia, he? <laughs> 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 you can keep that.
2: <laughs> Shout out, welcome, uh, come on! Uh, when you fancy see it, we would we love to have you on. Obviously, um, um, yeah, yeah. From that point onwards, it was like Queen Mary, win, win after win after win. So crazy to think that like we weren't, we weren't doing it
1: before. Well, especially you see that like in other countries, like for example, where I'm from in Poland, sweep is more of the on the background and yeah. sculling is like very much in the foreground and i think that's like more the case for more countries like because you're sort of like more self-dependent you can go out in a
0: single you, it's easy to put together a double you don't need that many people i i think i've got a theory about this and it is true like at least when throughout my rowing career when we went to the um european championships it was more or less the same people that you'd race at the world championships in the yeah. final yeah. uh if i look to our final in tokyo i think it's only australia who were uh, not from Europe in there. Other than that, it was pretty much the same as the European Championship final, one pretty different. Um, my theory is, yeah, it makes sense. You yeah. can just go out in single and then, oh, we've got someone else going on a double, go out on a quad. But I think here, a lot of rowing comes from universities and schools. Maybe there's lots of people and what's the most effective way to get lots of people on the water? Probably eights. Yeah. I think, I, and that's my theory of why uh, British rowings ended up you know, being stronger in sweep because you know, for us it was pretty much the. It's not completely this, but it was pretty much the sweep team were the ones that came from schools and mostly private schools. The sculling team tended to be the ones that came from rowing clubs and state schools. It tend. It's not a complete split like that. There are there are people that are different. Like um, I think Morgan Boulding he definitely landed in the club. Jacob Dawson landed in the club. Um, but for for the most part, it does tend to be a bit school and club i think like that yeah well like if you're at school it's the
2: pe isn't it and that, and that was sort of a thing this year about letting clubs into the pe because for a long time it was a it
0: was a school I
2: think early on it was,
0: it was early strictly early a school only event early. until yeah. this year right yeah, yeah. they're like very that. happy to see that they can allow clubs we'd have loved to enter it as maidenhead Round club yeah we would have not have been competitive because we didn't have we hardly ever had eight boys but it, what a cool thing yeah yeah i mean i probably also a
2: little bit got sort of pinson and Redgrave to blame for for doing so well in Sweepside and then yeah like my generation coming up all of you just behind as well like that was that's what everyone that's who everyone wanted to be you know mm. like you play football you want to be messy like if you, were, if you were in the UK you know you want to be Pinson I saw I can't remember what it was in his book I think it was one of them books where he says um some American guy was uh like obsessed with them and kept telling his girlfriend about Pinson and Redgrave Pinson and Redgrave she said she thought it she thought it was I probably butchered this story but like she thought it was uh this like really unfortunately named guy like Pinsent and red grape So it's like one, <laughs> one person
0: Kept going on about it that much.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it definitely like can come down to the numbers because there is just so many more like pool of athletes. The, the pool of athletes to choose from in this country is just so much larger than like you can find pretty much anywhere else. But American universities, probably Australia, New Zealand, and like you said, maybe like Germany at a push. So yeah, well, you always say it goes to goes to the theory. Your theory is supported by the fact that, that other countries that are
2: good in eight. Big countries like America, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's it. Like, it's, and also, it's very expensive to have an eight going around. It's, it's very hard to, um, if you're a smaller team with a smaller budget or whatever. It's like, well, you know, you can have a quad, you can have a quad and have four people going on all the camps. So you can have four people doing mm-hmm. all this eight. All of a sudden, yeah. it's quite a, a big chunk, right? Yeah, yeah. And the boats,
1: mm. and the cocks as well. So there's like no people. Yeah,
0: yeah. Although, uh, you know, that's one thing I'd have loved to have done is race set. Henley in an eight or race at the world championships in an eight, because it does look really cool. It does look really fun. And the race is quite a bit shorter. There were some times when I would race in a world cup in a single, and I'd race twice on Friday, heat and course final, uh, final on Saturday and final on Sunday. And each race was say seven minutes long, so 28 minutes of racing. And the eight would have two, five and a half minute races one yeah. on Friday and one on Saturday, 10, 11 minutes of racing on monday we'd have exactly the same training yeah. <laughs> i was like come on man i've had a way bigger weekend than that and i, I and I, i'd come finish like in the b-final or something having absolutely slogged myself and they've just you know had a nice you know one race day off another race see you later yeah, yeah. probably one as well
2: <laughs> i was very i was very happy hiding in the uh in the middle of the under 23 yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point uh cool so i mean i guess then the next step moving on from junior is like what you know did you have a idea of
1: taking it further was there how did you find out about leander like did josty push you to like come here or
0: like what sparked you to no, you know so well I, I was always aware of leander right this is the most famous rowing club in the world and um and my dad rode here too so i was i always knew about it and knew it as sort of half the british rowing team was from here still are um by the time i was coming up to the end of juniors most of the gb sculling team was from here mm. um I was coming towards the end of my time as a junior. I was planning to go to university at University of London, which is where I ended up going anyway. Um, I watched the sort of um, last bits into the London Olympics and was so gripped by it. They, they had the sort of story of the British Eight and German Eight and they were tussling. The, although the German Eight would always come out on top, it was really exciting to see. We really all hoped that in London, the British Eight would go and do them. Uh, there was also Alan Campbell, Sort of scratching around like close to the medals, like can he do it? That was really exciting. And then, um, and then there was Catherine Rangers' double. Her and Anna Watkins again was like, you know, quite exciting to see whether they could win win the gold medal. I watched fifth time lucky. Yeah, I'm watching those stories developing as a young rower. Really exciting. So, sort of tuning into all the World Cups and and because I lived in Maidenhead, it was very local to go to the Olympics. It was it was actually it was six miles away or something mm-hmm. from my house. To go and watch the rowing so i watched as much as i could i think it's still sl6 so that's the same postcode that's made it it there. might actually be it might be an sl6 it might be sl4 i'm not sure um they <laughs> got the sl6 so um <laughs> and um it so i went to go and watch as much as i could i'd been working in the sports bar that summer i had some tickets and then spent pretty much everything i'd earned on buying tickets out outside the venue by from touts because i really wanted to be there and i watched it all and was so inspired that I actually withdrew my application for university and kind of decided this is, uh, this is what I want to do. I want to try and, I want to try and be there in four years time. And it was a no brainer. Where am I going to, where would I try and do that? Because most of the scholars came from Leander. I'd seen the um, Leander quads winning, at the, winning the Prince of Wales cup then for a, a couple of years. So I thought, well, this is, this is the natural step. If I can go there and, and up my training a bit that that's going to put me on the path to to rio
1: and you did it as well like you ended up in rio but we'll get to that
0: yeah Yeah, by the
1: skin of my teeth (laughs) (laughs) well it still counts so so then you've joined the under and then was that like straight after you finished being a junior and like in your first year of under 23s
0: yeah no no not it was actually my second year of under 23s because i was in the age group where your last year of school is actually your first year as an under 23 Mm -hmm. so i um i did that so i went to the under three world championships in in like upset uh, in a double with johnny wilson we just missed out on the final which was annoying but we won won the b final with a good race um but no so that so i went to leander i didn't really know what to expect because i knew it as this like high performing place and the room we're in like really smart um smart library and quite posh and all of that and i, I was quite i guess a little bit intimidated when i first turned off on my first day or expected to be intimidated I turned up and it was like the most fun most welcoming loveliest awesome club and also just straight after the Olympics was sort of rubbing shoulders with a bunch of the people that just won gold medals like um people like Alex Gregory were kicking about or Pete Reed and they were really really actually awesome yeah to have around so um within a week I sort of fell in love with it here I was like this is definitely it feels like home and feels like a great club really got stuck into training and it was exhausting to start with because we were used to kind of like junior training was hard we'd train hard but it was just a different totally different volume of training yeah Yeah. so i remember sort of doing maybe like a a weight session and then a two-hour bike ride in the hills in the chilton hills as a squad and going home and like almost falling asleep eating my lunch because it was such hard work yeah um but I, I fell in love with it and found myself very quickly getting personal bests on the rowing machine, like really within weeks of being here.
2: I, was, I remember the same thing, yeah, just like, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast before, but I, I, it sounds stupid to say, but I remember those first few weeks at Leander, like I remember sort of waking up on Thursday and being like, like I'm not going to make Saturday. Like I, I, like, I think I might die. Like, yeah. I'm really, really struggling here. Yeah. The other was when I when I first turned up Leander I was same thing I was like right yeah, you know, I'm going yeah. Up to Leander I'm going to be around like absolute professionals you yeah know, it's time to step my game up like this is going to be like so serious and the first morning I turn up like I think I kind of came up a bit early like early August late, late September whatever Caroline found me she's like oh I think I think some of the boys are in, in the crew room I'll, I'll go and show you up there brings me into the crew room and there's a uh, Tom Wilkinson and Owen Davies in there and they're on the computer and they're looking at uh, photos of the night out they just had on Saturday. Was like absolute, just like atrocities. I'm not. I can't even say. How camera was going on. I was like, I was like, oh, okay, like no,
1: there's still normal people. They still have a laugh. Like yeah, but I remember that same feeling. Like just when I found out that I joined Leander, then I had to like move to England. Obviously, I didn't really speak that much English when I first came, and I just remember like thinking, training over the summer, thinking like I'm not gonna survive winter. Like this is gonna be so so hard. And then I found the training uh, program on the board. And obviously I didn't know because I haven't like met any other juniors or like met any other people who were training and I just saw the training program on a board and they just said some things in the language that I barely understood and I just started doing the senior training program for the summer as a junior. So that got me pretty fit to start yeah. the year. Uh, I absolutely ruined myself trying to get fit because I spoke to Tim Bainbridge
2: started telling me about this six minute bench pull test. So when you get to Leander, they've got this like six minute bench pull test. So I set it up at home, and I just went for it, having, like, never really done anything like that. Yeah. Next day I wake up, like, I can't, physically can't straighten my arm. i have having to, like, lie down on my arms to, like, get him straight. Huh. Well, I, I like try to go out in the single, and, like, I couldn't even blow the t right yeah, yeah, full, gone. Yeah.
1: yeah, but like you said, it was such a welcoming atmosphere, and just the ability to... Well, for me, it wasn't straight after the Olympics that athletes were kicking around. It was more, like, in the evenings when they came for, like, the crew crew
0: dinners and, and yeah. things like that. That was, was just awesome. It was, it was re- because... um. A lot of people moved to Henley to be here and the club was so good subsidizing meals like you could eat every meal of the week here apart from a Sunday evening right Mm. so you would it was cheaper than Mm. doing it yourself they cooked for you it was really nutritious food so of course I was here every meal of the week and in the evenings I like was hanging out with all the all the other rowers and some of the ones from the national team would be there and you'd end up mixing and learning a lot from each other and just getting to know each other so well I loved it and that winter we had the um youth olympic festival and that was like was coming up in in australia and i'd been selected for that and and in that event we raced in singles quads and eights so we mixed it was like a one squad which broke down into a four or a quad it's a nice. single a double light sorry lightweight double and um i won a gold medal in the single in that event and that was a big uh motivator i suppose because it was like oh hang on a minute if i can beat if i can win the medal here and i'm going to uh, one person I absolutely nailed in that race is really good now in the Aussie 4 called Alex Hill but, right, sorry <laughs> but he's very good now Olympic champion in the in the 4 um, it was great and I came. I remember coming back from that like wow, with, with this just uh, three months of training at Leander, I'm nailing it here came back and started just pulling 30 um, minute ergo scores that were actually better than I ever did in the national team when I was training in Caversham, which is, well Take that as you will. That shows our um, volume, yeah. Take, and um sort of started to think, well, you know, this this is paying off. This is the right place to be. I'm enjoying it so much. Bring it on, you know. It was so exciting. Yeah, that's. I think for me as well. Like well, I was very lucky in that time when I came to
2: Leander. There was. Like, that's one thing about rowing, it's very easy to like measure your progress. I think that's why people really get sucked in because you can see your 2k PB or 5k, or you mm-hmm. lifted a couple of kilos more on your bench press. Yeah, There's all these little like markers of how you're getting better.
1: Yeah, and if you can't measure your yourself against basically your previous course there's always like someone in the team that you can beat or push off and just sort of like measure whether like you're moving up in the ranks or not and you get you get junior wells and you get under 23s it's really
0: yeah it is really good so you to feel to, that yeah. progression don't you and what also was cool like i was in having a gap year most of my friends were at university i was thinking sometimes i'd be sort of out rowing in, in on in my single and on the river sort of i don't know eight eight in the morning halfway through a session kind of tired but it was like Autumn time is absolutely beautiful here in, in autumn. Yeah. The water tends to always be fat in October here as well, which is I don't know what's going on. But I would be there thinking my mates are probably either hungover or in a lecture or both right now. Why would I want to be doing that when I can be out here? This is so cool. Yeah, it was so cool. I, I definitely had again like all my friends went off. I, I came straight from school to Leander
2: and a lot of my friends went to uni, and I definitely like felt like oh I'm missing out. You know I'm working so hard and I yeah. don't get to see. Don't need to go home as much, go see my mates as much. But I speak to them on the phone, I'd be like, oh, what's uni like? Like, what are you doing? You're like, oh, we're getting absolutely fucked up. We're getting pissed. Like, oh, that sounds fun. Like, what else are you doing? And they're like, wow. Like, well, then we got pissed again on Friday, and then we got pissed again on Saturday. And I was like, yeah. Well, we get pissed sometimes here. Like, occasionally we get, but I'm also kind of doing this really cool thing and throwing. Yeah. So I was like, at that point, I didn't feel like I was missing
1: out anymore. Exactly. And like, obviously, like the times that you, you do get to like let go and like blow off this. The, the steam like the annual dinner after force head or like the the, the yeah. christmas party like it's it's, like, it's probably better than just like regular going to the pub i was and... telling Pete a story the other day marcus bateman um popped up on their uh, instagram he's like oh who's marcus bateman i said
2: oh god are you like no, marcus bateman i was no. sat on the table with him uh at one of, after the dinners after the four it's like the annual dinner isn't it yeah and him and tommy burton were like trying to feed each other Cake into one of the men's that be like being sink on the table, and they've just been <laughs> chugging red wine, and it was just like it all went absolute. Oh, yeah. No, but I hope I won't get them in trouble for that. It's been, it's been,
1: it's been a while, <laughs> about 15 years. I think I'll be all right. I think the management's changed over by now,
0: yeah. yeah. But it was cool, like rowing, rowing here was just the best. Like, um, you know, that year culminated with us winning the Prince of Wales Cup, um, and and with a record time. So I'd won the Forley the year before with my school, which was awesome. Like, so cool. And, you know, I'd 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 first not qualified for the Forley in 2008 and then eventually won in 2012, right? So it's quite a few times trying to get through that. Yeah. And um, But then the following year, making the step up in the Prince of Wales was probably some of the most fun I've ever had rowing. Like, we we actually rowed together again this year, the four of us who won that. And we weren't anywhere near as fast. (laughs) No. But also, of course, right the the event's a lot better and we have not been training in, in any way the same way that we used to. But it was so cool just to um you know, at the time we we trained really hard. We you know, went on training camps and were probably sculling I was probably sculling as, as well as I ever did at the time. And I can't believe now thinking when I was nineteen I was so much faster than I am now when I was twenty nine, right? But um it was so it was so cool and Actually, at some points, we okay. We probably got a bit ahead of ourselves, but we were thinking we're probably not that far off the international standard, right? Like maybe a few lengths, but it kind of got started to make in in my head like what had seemed like a huge gap when I was sitting in the London Olympic stands was actually very quickly quite a small gap, Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, hugely motivating to try and sort of take some scalps and get into get into the senior squad
1: yeah absolutely it just feels like basically when you're around those people it just makes it possible because if you're sat at a table with people who've done it and who are currently like doing it at the highest level like going to the olympics winning world championship medals if you're at the same table why couldn't you be doing the same thing especially if you're like under the same program they probably went on a similar journey that you're embarking and yeah it's it's just super fun It's yeah it it doesn't just feel liberating but also empowering like big
0: time yeah oh well, and sometimes we did some quite cool stuff so um Uh, because we're quite close to the British Rowing Training Centre in Caversham here, like the following year, our quad was, um, we were all under 23s trialling for the under 23 team. We didn't end up going to the world as a quad. We went as two of them went in the quad and two of us in the double. But we we were invited by the British Rowing, by Jürgen, to come and do some pieces with the senior men's quad. Mm. And that year, the senior men's quad, they got silver medal at the world champs, right? So how cool, how cool for us as like 19... 19 and 20 year olds to go up and sort of try and take some scouts with them now they absolutely did us but it was so cool to line up with them as they were preparing you know like we were on a level playing field like they were preparing for their world cup we were preparing for Henley and we'd go in, and and race each other that sort of overlap and rubbing shoulders with the best was you know that I think that almost brought more than some of the training sessions did yeah being around them yeah I remember the first time I sat in an
2: ergo at the end and uh and generally we'd been been in our own group but I think I was doing an evening one and just after I would started at 12k, Ian Lawson sits down on one side, who's Olympics in uh, Athens, wasn't it, single mm-hmm. school in Athens and then Steve Williams sits down on the other side and yeah. I'm just like
0: 19 year old me just being like, what is happening like this is Yeah, hilarious. those moments were really cool here, that, you know, that's you know, Leander's different to many clubs and I understand um, understand when like, some people think, oh that's like they don't like it or whatever for 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 some reasons, but as a developing athlete, there's just nothing like it like I remember, yeah, the same you know when you're these people who were your heroes, you're sitting on t v they they're still your heroes, right you look at them, look at what they did even now you're like, wow, that's so cool, and the fact that they would i don't know have dinner in the same room as you that <laughs> was like so inspiring oh that was my
2: first I came to the trial trial weekend at Leander and uh so it like turned up on like that was that time I saw Wilco and looking at all these photos but uh, the first time I had a meal here they ordered me like a crew main which at the time was a pound and it's massive. massive it's like it's at least a double portion what someone would consider dinner Yeah, and I was like wow this is, this is awesome and Ian Lawson came in Sits down and he's a beast of a man. He's got a tree trunk of legs anyway. Mm. Sits down, orders a crew main, butters up like six pieces of bread, huh. smashes this crew main huh. with six pieces of bread, like mops it up. And then the next time the the, the waitress comes in, he was like, "I need some more." Can you fill that? He
1: <laughs> like, like, goes and has a second round. And I was like, what? <laughs> "Yeah, that's crazy." I mean, just just thinking about what you said, there's probably not a lot of other sports where you get to where you get to do something like this, like racing side by side with like someone currently competing at like the world championship level. And just training and just existing, like amongst those athletes, like think about like probably football, even in the academy, probably like the developing athletes don't get to like mix that much with, uh,
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know about other sports really with it, but I'm so great. I'm grateful for the opportunities I had to do that. And, um, you know, it, it came, ended up the next year or well, at the end of that season. So I'd, I'd, um, done the the final trials and actually came, came in the a final. So I came sick in 2014. And I in my mind that meant right, they should be testing me for this for the boats. Why are they not? Um in fact officially I came fifth because Alan Campbell got disqualified in the final for a false start. <laughs> but um but I actually got okay, I finished six. Um but the sort of i I ended up although I didn't get tested for a, a proper crew that year, we I, I did get invited to be the reserve for the World Championships. So I went out to all of their camps. Or not. I didn't go to the altitude camp. I was racing at the under twenty three worlds then. But I went out to Portugal for their final camp, and then went out to World Championships. And on that last camp, I was actually used a few times. So I'd be in the quad and training in in the sort of senior World Championship quad when they they just won the last couple of World Cups going into the going into the World Championships. What a cool thing to do! And that started to, um, I guess that, and then going being with them at the World Championships. That was. Sort of my my door opening into the senior team, but the sort of moments before that of just being able to show um have you know a few of the guys knew who I was i I had particular people in the squad that I was kind of gunning for at all of the trials and hoping that I'd be able to be able to you know get one over on and and show that I can do it, yeah, I'm really grateful for all those opportunities when I was young, and I just don't feel like I'd have had the same opportunity if I didn't row here because here the the experience the coaches had the um overlap of athletes between here and the national team like it was what i was doing the coaches had seen 100 times before with different athletes and they knew it's like they knew exactly what to do it really felt like they knew what to do watch that they knew what my boat should be set up on they would say that it just seemed like they always said exactly the right thing uh before an ergo test that meant i'd get the right strategy like before I do a trial in Boston, any of this, it's like it's, it's almost like they they were inside my head and knew exactly what I needed, and they, they got it right every time. So uh, yeah, was, I was I can't thank uh, this club, I can't thank Leander enough for all the support that that got me. in. it's funny the way you talk about it. It's uh, you can
2: tell that it's you, you're not you weren't for a period of time you weren't trying to prove it to anyone else. It's almost kind of proved to yourself that you're supposed to be there. It was like you, you were like. Like, um, building belief in yourself. Like, oh, I am meant to be here. I can sit in this quad and not mess it up. And like, we talked about that a lot before. Like, you can want it or you could be fantastic. You can have raw talent. But like, so much of it is the mental of just like understanding that actually I could be there.
0: I think it was kind of half that and half the opposite. I think it was half like, oh, a bit like, I don't want to mess it up. But also, um, I felt like I'd been, I felt like I should be there too. Because I'd performed well in the trials. A bit of me was like, come on. Why are they not giving me more of a shot, right? And I now, looking back, I get it because like I just done one one good trial. Like, yeah. they, some the others probably just had a bad day and they've seen all their days for all year, right? But but um, sometimes I was kind of thinking, you know, if we want to have the best crews, why are we not testing everyone all the time? And so it was a, but you know, when you're young, I was so excited and motivated and driven. I wanted to, I, I didn't want to be here. I wanted to be there, and I wanted yeah. to be there now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, it speaks volumes to Leander and like the expertise of coaches to to basically push someone who's still like in the middle of the under 23s, like right in the mix with like the senior team. You don't really get those kind of opportunities if if you don't end up at like the right training facility with like such great support, like one-pump physio, all the cooked dinners, and it's 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 just brilliant.
0: Yeah, like uh, to be honest. So at one point, I was thinking about going to a US university, right? And um, well, firstly, I got told by David Tanner probably th- I shouldn't go because at that time no one had gone and come back and mm. been in the senior team yet. And um it was seen as kind of if you go off to the States you that's you done. Mm. Um if I'd gone, I certainly wouldn't have gone to the Rio Olympics because that's the year I'd have graduated. So but the um coming here meant that I had every opportunity to to really take my rowing to the level I wanted to get to. Yeah, I mean, again, like, talking about
2: all these things, like, so that, like, having the right things said at the right time, the right set on your boat, like, we've talked about this before, like, what kind of, the way I describe it, it's like a cheat code, you know, like, you get to, these people that have been there and done that, and have all this knowledge, you get to come up as an 18, 19, 20 year old, and, like, get access to this stuff straight away, and, like, you're not having to, like, spend years and years working out for yourself, and yeah. it's all talked about with this podcast, like, if we can share a bit of that knowledge in terms of, like, obviously, like, mental fortitude and things like that, like. Maybe give a few other people some of those cheat codes so that they didn't have to spend five or six years working on that bit, yeah. and then they're busy working on the next bit, the next bit, the next. Yeah,
0: bit, and you can kind of push the sport forward. Yeah, and we know we're so so privileged as well, though. But I think you know, there's also one one of the guys I work with. He talks a bit about social mobility and um, how you know how um, how can we try and get people from different backgrounds into different places. And he has this theory about sliding doors and. I apply this a little bit to my rowing career because a lot of the things that I've achieved, I was in the right place at the right time for. And you have to be in the right you have to be the right person in the right place at the right time. Yeah. But if I wasn't in the right place at the right time, wouldn't have got them. Like a, a few of a few of my medals I won at World Cups or European championships was actually a last minute sort of spare being called in. Um, same with going to the Olympics in Rio, like there was If it could have been someone else at that moment or 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 that door might not have opened at that time and it's kind of it's there are these sort of moments but being in there's luck there's a lot there's luck involved in
1: everything
2: you have to accept that that it's absolutely hard work and you have to work harder than anyone else and turn up day after day after day but also there's always going to be a bit bit of luck there Mm -hmm. um,
1: so let's talk about yeah hard work creates opportunities and luck so obviously how did you like find going for like the senior team and like trying to make the Rio Olympics while still being an under 23 like obviously you were racing at World Cups whilst you were still being an under 23 yeah going on senior camps I'm just interested
0: to like Uh, see how you were like I wasn't interested in being an under 23 at all I didn't care about it I really didn't care about it I didn't want to do it Uh, I was actually really annoyed um in 2013 fine like under 23 2012 I was at school on the under 23 2013 Fine or do under 23. By two thousand and fourteen I wanted to be a senior. I'd come sick in the senior trials. I wanted to be there. I didn't want to scratch around like I know the under 23 World Championships is a big event, but if you want to be in the Olympics, I wanted to be in the team for longer, right? And then by 2015, I'd been I was trading full time in the senior squad. I want I just wanted an opportunity to seat race for a crew. Um I raced in the European Championships because Charles Cousins was injured and we won a, a bronze medal. So more and more of these things started happening that made me feel like, at the time, I should be given a shot in one of the boats. So by then, that year, it actually felt some a little bit insulting at the time that they weren't letting me try out for the boats or seat race for any of them. They, you know, The double and quad just stayed the same as the year before. Um, and I went off to do the Under free single. But no one asked me if I wanted to do the single. I didn't even want to run a single. I hated racing the single. So it was like, why... Why are they picking me for this? Um, I'd much I'd kind of rather be doing a quad or a double. But I, I, I just had my eyes set on the senior team. So really it was like, how can I how many times or how many times do I have to knock on that door before before it, it knocks down? And who knows what might have happened in twenty sixteen season, but ended up having a big accident in yeah. the summer of twenty fifteen, had a boat smack into my back. Uh, not
1: just a boat it was the fastest boat arguably at the time fastest eight in the world (laughs) smashed
0: into my back um which was a a big a big situation right I broke a load of bones in my spine was out of the boat for uh, about five months and um that that set back my progress quite a bit as in in terms of trying to get into the Olympic squad maybe I'd have been able to make it maybe not who knows but um yeah I Sort of, my focus was always that the under three worlds. It was something I did, but it was it was never really like this season. I really want to do to do that. I I, I kind of was, I was used to rowing above my years, right? So when I was a junior, you know, tried to qualify in the forty when I was fourteen, didn't qualify. But it was I was used to always ra- racing with people older. So the age group events were kind of as a junior, that was like the biggest thing on earth. But once I was under three, I, yeah, I think someone had told me before that the um step up from junior to trade threes was was like not that big even though actually it was really big so i in, in my mind i always had this thing that like once you're a junior you're really a senior yeah once you're not a junior anymore yeah, right. you're actually i were an adult right so i did not want to be in these these boxes anymore i
2: yeah. think that's just goes to show like that's um like a quality obviously you have that you have just that single-minded like bloody minded focus to, to get to the top and i think like Sometimes, if you're if you're going to set out to be the absolute best in the world at something, like you're going to have to piss some people off. Yeah. You're going to have to be. You're going to have to think about yourself. You're going to have to be annoying without trying to. You're not trying to put anyone down by saying I can't. I don't want to be an under twenty three, but it's no, like, you know, I want. Yeah. I want to be. You know. I, I want to be somewhere else, and like yeah. you, you have to maintain that focus. And you hear other people speak online about it. You know, like Goggins and Jocko and stuff. It's all about like you. You know, people are going to think you're a bit mental. That's you, know. It. you know, you are going to have to actually like kind of turn the screw, like shut the doors like shut everyone
0: out and actually really just kind of go to a place where no one else is willing yeah. to go. Yeah and, and even so even when Angus, Groom and I raced in the under 3 double it wasn't that we didn't want to be in in the double together it's just we thought we wanted to try and be as good as the seniors right we were like and we did we did the under 3s and we did race the seniors and they did beat us right but we wanted uh, and the but and the following year I was training I wasn't even training at Leander anymore I was training with the senior team every day So it just felt odd that I would then go off and do a a different competition Mm. than what they were doing. Yeah. That was the thing. It was like, I wasn't, I went to the world championships in the single. I hardly actually knew most of the under 23 team because I hadn't been with them all yet. And it was, that was what I I felt like an outsider Mm. going into that team. It was weird. It was That's kind of different.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Like, obviously like the step up, like you said, between junior and the under 23 is quite big. And then. I guess i don't know tom said that the sinkovich brothers sort of eradicated the under 23 and seniors oh, gold I mean, medal in the same year yeah exactly that, well that's it i think maybe
0: that probably did it for me i was like oh well if, if you, you can you can be good enough to do better yeah
1: yeah and then yeah. i remember like my first season at leander i just walked back after like one of the training sessions and then you were just coming probably for a crew dinner coming back from the your first or one of the first sierra nevadas when you started training with the senior team sometime in 2014 and i think you started tra- training training in that season still at the club and then you you got moved into um the seniors in that season and i thought oh that's so exciting like obviously like the training must be going well you're going to the senior team how how was it how was the training camp and i just remember you saying hard really hard it was really difficult but i enjoyed it <laughs> it was like that that sort of like really that sort of like really made it real for me like it's it takes like so much effort like it takes yeah. really hard work and like
0: Sometimes it's, it's not all t- t- sunshine t- and rainbows, and this like are serious. Those Sierra Nevada training camps with yeah. the senior team—they are really hard. Yeah, they are really, really hard. um I have—I'm—I'm I'm, dad I don't have to do that again. I have so much respect for people like John Collins who have probably done it. Like I've done it a lot of times because I—I—I've I've already went up there. I don't know, eight or nine times. It's, man, some of those people have done it so many times, and they go back for more. <laughs> and um it's so tough, and you know, it's, I, I admire their dedication and stuff to do that, and and just to go and go and go because that that couple of weeks up there is it's so you wake yeah. up in pain. You actually wake up feeling like, like I wouldn't say be beaten up because beating up, being beaten up would probably feel better than how you feel after that. But it's like, and 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 this is sort of on day two or three. It was hard, man. You'd wake up and it felt like you hadn't slept at all. You yeah, to go again get on that erg 20k you're really thirsty you're really hot you're sweating you're, like obviously the, the altitude is actually the least of your worries like, <laughs> you're, just, you're, you're just screwed man and you just gotta stick it out for two weeks and knowing that it will make you get better that was the thing it was like for a purpose yeah and it was enjoyable because you're with great a great team doing it but the training wasn't enjoyable not for me at least it was just incredibly hard i 20k ergos what's that an hour and a quarter or so on the erg after about five minutes was thinking this is it was was like hanging on for every session rather than thinking I'm thriving here I never felt like I was thriving up there and there's no enjoyment because the
2: altitude you you can't ever hit your good score so like sometimes on the ergo if you feel good there's a good score you get motivated on a good score. every score is bad every score is below what you want yeah, I hate them as well. You lose track of
1: days, what time it is, what meal it is. It's just like Is there music? I mean, you can't even like watch films, so you probably also like just get bored of just being on the ergo with like nothing to do for it now.
0: And there's some other little things that come with it. Because it's quite there's quite dry dry air up there, your your sweat will evaporate. Then you'll kinda of have salt there and you'll get chafing on uh, just so many repetitions of that same thing. It's hard to sleep. It's hard to sleep. But but it it is where huge gains are made and like we came back okay very tired but we'd lift some really heavy weights up there but come back after a few weeks we'd be pretty strong and it was like real sort of old fashioned hard work and, and and to be honest that's what they do all year those guys who are training right now for Paris they are working so hard mm. and um, I've th- like it's a bit of sidetrack here but I found it quite we finished with a silver medal in Tokyo and we're, we were delighted and everyone was very happy with us and all the sort of um British rowing community were sending such lovely messages. The press were really nice about us because it was our first ever uh silver our first ever Olympic medal in the men's squad. Oh nice. But then people were really quite tough on the the rest of the team mm. because they didn't quite win medals and had a lot of close like it was so close to being awesome Olympics. Like had Had the four just been on the right side of it? I think it was seven. Had the the lightweight women's double just been just a teeny bit closer, you know, all these fourth places, Mm. had they just been medals, we'd have come back saying, wow, what an amazing Olympics. And it was so close. And every one of those athletes worked so hard. They worked so hard. They absolutely, you, you know, they couldn't have given more. And I found it quite tough seeing some of the commentary about my teammates because it didn't give the whole story of how hard they worked it, and and actually how I think I, I I'm not completely I can't completely say this of authority but I think the sport's tighter than it used to be. Mm-hmm. The, if you look to those races, the finishes there were so many more blanket finishes than it used to be. Like if you look twenty years ago, okay, a lot of the times, sort of third and fourth, fifth and sixth were kind of far away from getting medals, right? They, yeah, they were miles away. Whereas some of these finals in Tokyo. Like, the lightweight women, four of them were completely in a line for the, mm. the gold medal. Damn. Like, it's it's savage. Yeah. And I don't think we can expect to have one team cleaning up in the same way that teams used to. Yeah. Because it's so tight. Yeah, it becomes so professional.
1: You train so hard. I mean, I, I always said, like, if you take those seven fourth places and you actually put, like, a, a table based with points, like, in Formula One, based on, like, the, the finishing positions, GB probably would have done better than like most of the countries with the medal takes yeah, but-
0: because there was just so many teams so close. Uh, well, yeah. And and unfortunately, well, actually no. Not unfortunately. That's just not how that's not even what the athletes want. Right? We want to win medals and I hope so much that they'll they'll get what they want next year. I've bought tickets to be there for every finals day and shout for them. No. Um looking forward to hopefully seeing lots of smiling faces, uh seeing some newspapers and 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 the British Rome community and everyone saying lovely stuff about our awesome team. Cause they've been great since then. Mm. Um, you know, they have, but I think the most important thing is that everyone, when they look at this and, and if they're disappointed by watching the team's result or, or if they're delighted, understanding that every single one of them has worked so hard to be there. And they've, they've, they've tried their hardest and okay, maybe that maybe their hardest wasn't good enough on that day, but they've, <laughs> they would never have sort of left any stones untanned in in their pursuit of, of gold. That's I it.
1: The amount of sacrifices and everything that you do, like your personal relationships, the parties, the fun, the trips, like a- anything that you want to do, you have to just give up for years just just to get a shot. And then, like obviously, you get really close. And then that's it, the, the press just doesn't show the the whole story. Yeah, We're right. just saying fourth place, unlucky. Yeah, and I think um no
0: it's it's tight it's fine margins like we, we were delighted we came away with a silver medal right if we'd gone half a second i think it was 0. 0.52 of a second slower we'd have come four that's nothing if over the, 2000 meters yeah it's nothing at all and um you know if the women's lightweights had gone that same this same amount quicker they'd have won mm. it's kind of there is a there's a line and it's very tough because we all worked just as hard as each other but there's a line that was the difference between me going oh well i'm going to quit absolutely delighted this is this is perfect I've got fairy tale ending for me yeah or uh emily and imogen probably absolutely heartbroken questioning you know we're a hundredth of a second off bronze probably questioning every stroke of that race could we have done things better did we clip a bit of water did i eat something wrong should i have gone for a bigger pee before the race you know it's that tight yeah um But we all worked just as hard as each other. We all did very similar training and and lived it. Probably similar on the speed orders as well. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm hoping. I'm I'm really excited about the British rowing team for the next couple of years. I really, really hope that um, you know they get they get what they want from it because they work. They they're not working any harder than they did before. Maybe the training is different. I don't know, but they. You can't work harder than 100%, and they will be giving 100%, and I'm sure they and they always have been.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that maybe it was a sense a little bit of like, oh, no, it's over, you know, with, with Tokyo. Like, ah, oh, you know, the, the medal rush is over. Or whatever. No. But I think for me, like, having seen those seven fourth 4 places, like I said, knowing people in the team, knowing how hard they work, actually, I was like, nah. Like, no. I, that's going to, like, light some fire. Yeah. Like, I remember, I was at Caversham fixing irks, like, literally... I think a I think a week after Tokyo or two weeks after. And uh um Emily Craig was there training. Yeah. She'd like come home and gone training and I went and said, I was like, Morris, like she was in like Tokyo like, yeah. six, seven days ago. And Morris was like, Yeah, but you know, she's basically said, um, you know, if she has all this time off, you know, she'll tighten up, she'll she'll struggle with like flexibility and things like
0: that. So she's out on the water training. I was like, Okay, here I we think- go. I think one thing was very tough for the team going into Tokyo. Like we we didn't win a single gold medal at the World Championships between Rio and, and Tokyo in the in the uh Olympic class event. And um but there was so much going on that was out of the Rora's control. Like mm. after one year after Sarasota um David Tanner left, who was our performance director, which was, was a huge part of the team. And um and then one year later, so he was replaced by Brendan, who uh, who I, th- I thought was great, actually. Um, but then after David had left sort of the, it, it was a, maybe a year later, Paul Zomsen left and he was the, the head coach of the women's team. They didn't replace him. Yeah. And instead of replacing him, they, uh, doubled Jürgen Groble's workload. And he was then in charge of the men's and women's team. Like, okay, it's a big enough job for someone to be in charge of one of those teams. And like, Jürgen's a fantastic coach. And he's really experienced, been around for years, but like, you can only do so much. And if you want to be as detailed as Jürgen would like to be, with all of a sudden twice as many people, maybe in events that he might have known a little bit less about because he's not been coaching women for years and years, I think it was a disservice to the athletes to not hire a, a, a chief women's coach again. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think, personally, I feel that that the sort of tumultuous time with David leaving, Brendan coming, uh, Tomo leaving, Jürgen taking over, and then Jürgen leaving. Uh, it was like, there was some stuff, right? Oh, Jürgen leaving is the reason the team didn't do so well. Maybe it's part of it, but it's all of those things coming together meant that there was no consistency for the athletes, right? Well, absolutely. That was, it was tough, I think for, for us just to stay in our lane, do our thing when you didn't even know, like the, the sort of management was changing so much. You, and hopefully for this few years now they've got paul in charge and it seems like they've got quite a settled group of people they can just focus on their thing do it stick to one strategy for the whole time It'll probably probably make quite a big difference and uh you know if, if you imagine in your your jobs or if you had a different boss every few weeks and they wanted a slightly different direction you know or if you, in your own clubs if your coaches were changing and you kind of they they changed um what boats they wanted to do in or what their strategies were, it's like very hard for you to, to feel safe in your spot in the team, but also very hard to know, like, it's very hard for your body to deal with slight changes in the training. Absolutely.
1: I mean, like when you, you have a winning system here that's been producing so many gold medals over like however many Olympiads. And then suddenly in one Olympic cycle, you change four, five different variables who are like, that are crucial to to the performance, to like the outcomes and everything. Like if you, in engineering, for example, if you test a system, you make one change at a time and you actually like leave it for some time to see like, what's the effect. Like if you're testing and change like four or five different variables, like you don't actually know what's made the change or like what's, at, what's causing that what outcome. So yeah. It's a, it's a little bit like interesting. Like, obviously I'd like to think that, well, no, I think that if obviously the men's team was left without a coach they would have definitely replaced the chief men's coach. Why didn't they do the same thing for the women? That seems a little bit strange, obviously.
2: I definitely think... We spoke before about the real skill of a a fantastic team is um, like what Leander did really well in GB while I was there is is to take everything away from the athlete. You know, um, people used to sort of say, oh, you know, rowing's rowing's really hard. You know, you guys do such a good job. My dad sort of used to jokingly say like, no, it's not. You've got someone that does everything for you. You've got a physio. You've got someone that cooks your food. You've got someone that, you know, we used to turn at the airport and not know where we're going. Well, you go to the desk and be like, oh, where are you flying to? And I'm, like, I'm I'm going to a viz. Like, yeah. I, I just know the name of the camp. Like, GB told me to be here. You know, like, everything gets done for you so that you can focus on just the things you need to do and get the best performance out of you. So if more gets put on your plate, you're having to think about other stuff.
0: Obviously, like, that's that's the struggle. Yeah, well, I'd say it was a, a more stressful. Like, if I compare the run into Rio to the run into Tokyo in terms of just the vibe around the place, it was completely way more stressful. It's like, into rio okay i wasn't going to be in one of the boats but I, i knew my place and and there wasn't constant chopping and changing in the few years into um into tokyo all the boats were different every year and it was like the squad staff i think well not the athletes of course it's not the athletes they don't choose this but the whoever is in charge of that and i think it's head coach right could never decide who they wanted in what votes. So it felt like we were doing, as an athlete, it felt like we were constantly being tested. Literally every other week, it was like some sort of doubles or pairs matrix or ergo test or seat race or trial or singles race or something. And it was like, but they could never decide on what they wanted. And then, so it felt like we were just sort of, all of us were constantly pitted against each other. I don't think the atmosphere was super nice compared to the time before, which is such a shame because it was great. It was great people. Mm. Um, and until the COVID happened. And then after that, for the most part, the boats were quite settled mm-hmm. and we could just focus on making ourselves as fast as we could. But I think by then, a lot of the sort of damage was done in in that. But, but yeah. And I think, I don't know about you, but for me, seat racing,
2: there's nothing more stressful than there's nothing. Like, obviously, like a world championships is hard, but like you're in you're in the team and you're trying to go and get a result. Whereas mm-hmm. like when you're seat racing, you're like, I could not, you know, I can be out. I could not get anything this year. I could not go yeah. anywhere. Like and like you said, you're like, you know, your your best friend turns into your enemy, and yeah. and that is a very high stress environment. I felt like every time
0: I got swapped in a seat race, I felt like they wanted me to lose. Yeah, yeah, it really felt. Like get that, that. And I'd come back swinging. I'd really, <laughs> your head some of my best ever me. performances. I think were in those seat races where it was like, why have they swapped me again today? Why have they swapped me when I've just won one? You know, and it's like they want me to lose if that's how it feels it's like they really want me to lose well i'm not gonna show i'm not gonna lose and that's the best uh, attitude to have well, yeah. man some of those days <laughs> with seat racing
2: because in order to keep it fair they can't tell you what's going on so you never really know what's going on mm. so your brain just starts playing tricks on you and, f- and filling these gaps in and be like oh, well yeah, they're seat racing against him and then that means that and yeah like they
0: they obviously want this when they want, and, they, and then it really like it, it really messes with you i tell you what there was a time like during so during the sort of winter of 2019 and start of 2020 just before the pandemic i wasn't having a good time of training i wasn't performing as well as i wanted i think uh if 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 there was time for me to be able to put up my hand and say i'm not feeling all right i'm sure there'd have been some sort of uh energy deficiency or something going on because i was screwed i was not getting i didn't even get the ergo cut off at the boston trials i was really not performing the olympics was around the corner i didn't have time to say i'm not okay right you just have to had to crack on but there were and it was because i didn't perform that well in that first trial i felt like i I was on the back foot and it felt like they were just looking for a reason to kick me out so i wasn't doing good ergo scores i wasn't i didn't perform that well in the single in that first trial i still beat everyone outside of the squad so i don't know why i was treated by like such a leper but um but like every it felt like every seat race It was like jack again jack again jack again came third in the final olympic trials uh, which was like okay surely that's enough Mm -hmm. to be like i'm in a boat nope seat racing again and i remember thinking at one point this is just too much it's too much i actually want to lose Mm -hmm. because if i lose it's done Mm -hmm. and it felt like that would be i just wanted some certainty right and and unfortunately i didn't lose right and actually did all right but um man it's when you care about it so much and you give you give your whole life to it, this is the only thing in your life. You you can't afford for it to go wrong, right? You, it's not just a it's not just a little up and it's not just a seat race that you can then go home and, and be like, oh well, it's just rowing. It's just part of my life. It's your whole life. It really is. And um, you know, while I was studying, at least I had university in some way to kind of be like, well, at least I've got this. But once that was done. You, you you need it to go well so it's i was fortunate things did end up my way but it's tough it's tough and for people that don't quite get what they want you know I've countless teammates who who didn't who, who were doing very well maybe won medals at the world championships didn't quite make the olympic teams and you know in any in another year maybe they would have and it's so difficult when they've 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 put everything into that into that basket and and tried their best and now I know that we're all privileged to be athletes anyway, right? Mm. And I'm sure people will be giving their right arm to do it in, in other professions or, or doing other things. Um, and, my, and 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 I was facing a bit of a bad light because actually, when I, like I said at the beginning, if I could be 20 and do it all over again, I would do every single one of those days all over again, right? I would. Um, but I think it's just back onto what I was saying about the, you know, when you're watching the British team or watching these people compete or, or any crew's, just remembering how much they've given, and um, if if they don't get the result they want, support them. Mm. That's it. It's like cheer for them and cheer for them whether they're finishing first or finishing 16. Like let's back our team.
1: That's it. They've given the same effort. It takes the same effort. That you just don't like if you do everything right in the process. well, the outcome is not dependent on you system changes you, you don't know like which semi you're going to get drawn in against or like what's going to happen at the world championships maybe one is faster or or the other like but if you nail the process and then people treat you differently depending on the outcome that's not necessarily down to you that's yeah i think you nailed it like definitely support and the, the last thing the athletes need after like giving up so much for You know just torturing themselves in training for for months and months is to then come away with a bad result by like 100th of a a second and just get shut on by the media like that's just not the way to to build a long sustaining team so i want to i want to definitely like hear about the rio olympics like what was it like obviously you walk up in a hospital after the 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 aid crashed into your back what was like your first thought
0: okay so so um so so when the boat hit us, we, we flipped over we it was, you, uh, it was me and Angus groom in a double and, um, my first thought, cause you know, you're, you, you can process lots of thoughts in a second, right? I I felt something hit the boat first and I thought, oh fuck's sake, Angus has hit a boy again. Ang- Angus, <laughs> if you're watching this, I'm sorry, but you know. You weren't that good multitasking, so you could row really well, but you wouldn't then steer at the same time, whatever. But you were a great rower and great friend, so you are a great friend. So, shout out Angus! Yeah. yeah, shout out to Angus, but work on the steering a bit. Uh, but, 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 but it wasn't Angus's fault, by the way. This accident, Angus was, was completely in the right. Anyway, um, so I'm not blaming you.
1: So he's just getting battered for no
0: reason. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I was like, oh, Angus has hit a boy again. And, and then the next thing was just like crunch and a big thud in my back, like right in my lower back. And then I did, we didn't know what it was, but our boat just started tipping and we couldn't, we were sort of trying to right it and we just flipped over. But what, what happened was the, um, the eight had got, gone straight into my back and it, it brushed Angus's leg as well actually and went straight into my back. But the boat had gone, we had those wing riggers, like the front aluminium wing riggers. The boat had gone under the backstay but over the rigger so it was like locked in with our boat. And so that was the, the, what the weight was that tipped us over. And it, I felt the most immense pain, like in my, in my, obviously in my back felt like, well, like an eight, it just hit it. <laughs> and, um, and also my hip was, was burning. Couldn't really understand. But I thought I was going to drown. I was in the, in the lake in Portugal and I can't really remember, but somebody helped me out of the, out of the water. I think it might've been Matt got I think it was through And, um, I was wearing a white, like a world rowing championship all in one. And someone said, there's a lot of blood, which really calmed me down. As you can imagine. Um, I got taken, taken into a boat, uh, like into Jürgen's coaching boat. And he sped, sped us back about three kilometers back to the landing stage where I was put on the floor and sort of lay there. But so to start with, I thought, right, I'm going to drown. Next thing was like, well, I don't know what, what's going on. And was just laying there on the floor and told to stay still. My hip was hurting very much. I knew I was bleeding a lot Back was in bits. Um, eventually got taken into an ambulance and driven to hospital and uh, This was was this in in a Viz. In a Viz, yeah. yeah. It was quite a remote. Yeah. yeah. So there was a hospital about twenty five minutes away, but it was quite a small one, kind of like a minor injuries unit almost. Yeah. And um and, you know, it was full on like blue lights flashing and sirens and and um eventually did this CT scan. But everything's in Portuguese, right? I don't speak Portuguese. And they, they said you've broken a load of bones in your spine. So this was um, pretty much bang on one year before the Rio Olympics. And in my mind, it was straight away like, right, well, there's no chance. That's it. Done. Um, also don't really know what this means in terms of normal life. Like what they just said, I've broken a load of bones in my spine. In my mind, breaking bones in your spine is kind of life-changing, right? Fortunately, it and it turns out it wasn't too life-changing. But I then got driven to another hospital in in Lisbon, which was so that was about two hours to drive, and again not allowed to move. So that was a pretty uncomfortable journey in a, in an ambulance, where I spent a, a further week. But during that, I had um, like MRI scans and, and and more scans on it, and um, and spoke to a surgeon that spoke a bit better English, and he said that I will make a recovery, I'll be able to row again. It's going to take a long time, and I said how long. He said he can't really say. So um, it was pretty difficult because every day I was sort of waking up in hospital on my own in a different language, a different country, really unaware of what what was next. And eventually, I flew home in an air ambulance, and, um, and and saw a surgeon in England. And it was very nice to see someone that sort of speaks your language. Well, spoke my language, but also um, it was close to home. Everything was a bit more familiar. My family could come and visit and. I started to feel a bit more confident about the whole thing he he felt a bit more sort of bullish as well and was like you know what you will you will be able to get back to normal training it's just going to be a very slow and steady uh sort of progression and it was slow it was like started off with just standing up and standing up for a bit and then walking to the end of a room or walking to the end of a corridor and then eventually up some stairs and baby steps yeah really baby steps and um but after a couple of months I'd started training at the, um, British Olympic rehabilitation center in Bisham Abbey, uh, was starting off just on an exercise bike with no resistance. And by the end of the week was aqua jogging and doing some resistance. And after a couple of weeks was allowed to sit on the erg and like with a, you know, like a bin bag over the fan and do some patterning. And after, yeah, about four months was, was training properly on the erg, went to Sierra Nevada. In fact, there was a funny thing. So I went to Sierra Nevada and I thought I was going to do a very different training program because I'd had you know, broken back a few months ago. Jürgen was like, okay, we're going to really adapt the training. The only adaptation I had for, compared to everyone else was that one 18k ergo, I did 16k and he said that I can do 10 minutes on the bike at the end of it but that meant I actually trained for longer than if I'd done the 16k because I didn't it doesn't take me 10 minutes to do what well, probably does now it doesn't take me 10 minutes to do um to do to do that 2k so I was a bit a bit annoyed at that but that but then yeah I came back from that camp and I uh, did a 2k I go was I think I did about 604 so five seconds or so off my best um best at the time and eventually and then got back in the boat so yeah for four and a half months it was from Smashing the back to getting in the single again. No, only the resilience of an
1: athlete, really. Like that's insane. Like probably many people would have thought. Like, am I going to be able to walk again, or okay, rowing's done. I need to like protect the rest of my life. Like it's it's an insane journey, and especially like knowing what had followed after. Well, and and
0: that's the thing. And one thing I thought about during all this was like. I don't like the priorities changed a bit right so okay I wanted to go to the Olympics still of course but most important was like I want my body to be functional I don't know I'm not a doctor I didn't I'm not an expert on spines and um I thought to myself if I'm gonna get my body functional just to live normal life for the rest of my life I need to aim for the Olympics anyway because that way I'll do all the sort of bits that your physio tells you to do that you kind of do half of you know there's like (laughs) things with elastic bands and all that kind of stuff I'll actually do it if I'm aiming for the very, very top. And then that way, I'll be like in, in best health going forward. So that was sort of my motivation. And as I got back into it, I started to think, hang on a minute, maybe I could get there. Maybe I could uh, still still make the team. It was tough for that four months because I could see the rest of the team charging towards the Olympics, doing three sessions a day while I was like, you know, like I said, walking around with elastic bands and stuff. But as that time went on I started to think you know what maybe I can do it and just that little little flame flicker yeah and then it's like it's on well it got to the stage where I could look, it looked like I would be able to enter the trials in the you know the last Olympic trials and then I thought well if I'm going to be at the trials then I can ensure as hell come in the top 7 I didn't <laughs> I came 9 <laughs> not bad having, you haven- having had your backs smashed yeah by the fastest
2: state
1: in the world yeah. Yeah. I mean
0: so officially what was what broke like, they um, it was the transverse processes from T12 to L5, and mm-hmm. and so that's the the bits and, on the side of your spine, yeah, yeah, and um, and the tear in the psoas muscles, yeah. So it's uh, it actually very fortunate. It's unlucky that didn't happen, but fortunate it was like slightly to my right hand side, yeah, because if it had been a bit more central, probably would have been a lot more a bit more of a disaster well
2: again are you talking about you can work as hard as you want but you need a bit of luck
0: yeah whatever happens if we've been a little bit
2: faster
1: in that session it'd have actually been worse <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah
1: so the SOAS muscle for those probably, uh, those yeah. are people yeah. including me to tonight Sorry,
0: that's a hip flexor
1: yeah. oh okay yeah, yeah yeah so you came back obviously like in full power after you pulled a 604 after like making the recovery uh came seventh at the final no came ninth for the final trials so that leaves you with like a few months to go before the Olympics? Yeah. Uh
0: yeah, so that was March time. Um and then I I raced in the double at Henley with Nick Middleton. We had a great time. We won the doubles goals, which was, was super cool. Of course you did. And, you were uh, with Nick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nick, Nick <laughs> never lost at Henley, right? And um and I also um I, I I got a bit of a lucky break because um Nick was John John Collins and Johnny Wilson were in the double together. And we were doing a team speed order just before the European Championships. But Johnny was at his sister's wedding. So Nick went in it, Mm. which meant that I, instead of rowing with Nick, I did the single and I raced along against Alan Campbell in the single that day. And compared to how much he'd beaten me by in the trial, he beat me by only like a length and a half this time. So it was, I'd shown quite a big progression. It was a really windy, horrible day, to be honest. I think I just had a better lane, but I'm gonna keep I kept that. And and after that, Jurgen thought, well, I'll let um I, Jack and Nick can... well, me and Nick raced in the World Cups in the double, but then he said he let me do one in the single. And um I did the yeah, so I raced in Poznan in the in the men's single and I won the B final, which was I was gutted to not make the A final because I just missed out, but I won the B final. In fact, the person that I just beat was Sverry Nielsen who's now very, very fast in the <laughs> so I'll, 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 pretend I'd, I'd be up there with him if, if I had been there, but then, um, that, those results worked quite a lot in, in my favor, I think in Jürgen's mind. So th- then when we went to Lucerne for the, for the world cup, again, Nick and I raced in the double, we made the final, but then on the day of the final, uh, Pies Lambert got sick and I found out about an hour before that I'd go and race in the quad and it was a tough, a little bit of a tough thing because Nick and I were a doubles partner. He's like one of my best mates and he beaten me in the trial, but then Jürgen picked me to do the race in the quad. Um, and we, we raced and, and won a silver medal. Then I had to go back up and race again, absolutely baggage and came sixth with Nick. But I think that, that put me as like, likely the spare for the sculling for the, for the Olympics. Now, the Olympics is very strict about how many numbers they can bring. You can if you qualify a whole team, you can bring three spares. I think it's two now. And um for the British rowing, obviously they prioritise sweeps, so they brought a stroke cider and a bell cider and then and then a lightweight, because we then you had lightweight fours as well. Yeah. So they didn't bring a sculler. So I was selected as like a non travelling reserve for the team. So I'd train I went to Silveretta, went to uh, Varese, where we did our final camps. And I'd be training then for Fizu, like World University Championships. Um so I went yeah, I went with the team to Silretta, was actually in the boat quite a lot because oh who was injured? I think I think Angus, Angus has had a bad back, so I was in yeah, training quite a lot of that time in in the boat. Loved crazy. I was training alongside Alan and singles, like taking chunks out of each other, and was even in the quad the day before they flew to Rio. So we did a speed order race at Caversham, Angus had a bad back. I was in it and I, I really thought, come on, this is the day before you're flying. Surely, mm. surely I'm, I'm going like, this is ridiculous, but no, the next day they all flew off and, and I was at home. Um,
1: yeah. So obviously it was, it was, it was a big trip, like going to South America, like beautiful
0: Olympics, <laughs> but from that leaving then, so obviously you yeah. think that's it. Yeah. So they, they bad? left and, um it was really nice they gave me a few presents and stuff and said thanks very much for like being our spare and i remember driving home i was driving out of there and it must have been a bit dusty in my car or something so there were a few tears and i i wasn't like sad that i wasn't racing anymore i, I knew that but i wanted to be there because they were my team right we had a great team going into rio like really strong cohesive bunch of people and i just wanted to be there to support them because they had all I'd been with them for every day of training i wanted to be there to watch them. Sort of get get what they deserve from their hard work, um, but no, they they flew off, and then had one day. I think it was Henley Town and Visitors Regatta. I came down and watched Henley Town and Visitors Regatta, and they were all in in Brazil. And the following morning, uh, I woke up to a missed call from David Tanner, who, if, if you don't know, David Tanner was the performance director at the time, kind of like the real life um, Demon Headmaster. And, uh, but david doesn't just call you for a chat right yeah if you got a call from david tanner it, there's a good reason for it and i was thinking why has he been calling me from brazil anyway he called again and i missed it again and eventually i and I, I kept we kept trying to call each other but there was something dodgy signal or something and he he called me again and answered and he and i was actually on the toilet which was funny and um and i it was like he called me as i flushed or something anyway <laughs> yes so that was funny and um but he was he called me actually with something quite serious and it was that unfortunately graham thomas had come down sick and david wanted to know that or wanted me to know that i might be flying uh in a couple of days to brazil to cover just in case so the plan would be that i'd fly out there be in the hotel and if they need me to row i could then do that but hopefully not and of course like as the spare in the team you hope you, you do hope for these opportunities you never hope for them at the expense of your mate, but you want your chance too. Like if there was able to be, if, if we could have just like a, a five, a, a, a five instead of a quad, you know, that's what you wanted. Yeah. And um, because we, we all train really hard to, to race. And um, and, uh, and then an hour later, David called me again. And he said, look, your, your flight's booked for tomorrow. He'd throw. I was like, wow. And he said, you can't tell anyone. Um, And I said well what do, what do I bring? He said, I don't really know because you don't know how long you're coming for. He said, hopefully a few days because again we, the plan is that Graham will get better and and will race so i' I went to Heathrow the next day, got on the plane. It was very weird. I bumped in the well, the first two people I saw on the plane were Chris Froome and Andy Murray, and the scene was pretty the plane was pretty much full of Olympic athletes off to go and compete and uh but I wasn't in my mind still it was like i'm I'm there just in case mm. and We'll see. And for the 10 hour journey flying from London to Rio, it was a lot of mind games going on. Like, in one way, I was thinking, you know, uh, they wouldn't have brought me out so hastily and quickly unless they really, really needed me. But then I also had a few times that year thinking, you know, they're going to put me in the boat and then didn't. So um, I didn't want to get my hopes up and be disappointed. And then also, there's a big part of thinking, hope graham's all right i hope he's better because he's trained really hard and deserves it he's it deserves to be in the boat and and hopefully win a medal yeah and i arrived and uh, got a taxi to the to the team hotel where i was greeted by like the head coaches the doctor and nutritionist it was quite late in the evening by then they uh brought me some dinner and and all sat on my table which was weird because uh, these people were normally quite like a bit standoffish yeah for them to be so Friendly was a bit strange, Uh, and and they basically like David sat down and and said, "Look, Jack, I'm going to talk you through what's going to happen over the next few days. It's it's quite big news." And then I knew exactly what it was going to be, and my hands were shaking. And he he said that unfortunately, Graham's like caught a flu and won't be racing anymore. We're going to have to withdraw him, and and you'll be now racing in the quad. And uh, I remember going up to like up to my room in the hotel that night. And feeling such mixed emotions because in one way it was everything I wanted, right? I, I was there I've I trained so hard to try and go to Olympics and and this is my shot. And I felt like I d de- I felt like I deserved to be in the shot anyway. But but then also it's not how you want it to happen. Right. Absolutely not. It's far from it. And um I wanted to be there on my merit because I've done so well and I've been selected and and, and I should be in the team, right? I didn't want it because one of my best mates was sick and had just had his stream ripped from him. Mm. And uh, I felt awful in my room, knowing that in that same building, uh, Graham was there. Heartbroken. Probably absolutely heartbroken, yeah. And I think we both probably had a sleep night for different reasons, mm. but, but it was really uh, not a nice feeling. I called up my dad and woke him up. And I wasn't meant to be telling any, anyone, but I, I had to speak to someone. And he said, well, Jack, it's terrible for Graham. It really is terrible. And but there are three other guys in that boat and and they need they need you now so you need to stop 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 um like focusing on that and focus on making that boat go really fast so it was but, but it was yeah that's actually really solid advice you got well yeah he's well he knows it he he was he's around in the sport too right exactly um, but yeah man it was tough and I really i still feel so much for graham for that because that's just like it's every athlete's worst nightmare right yeah we all
2: did when we heard it just yeah just gutting wasn't
1: it well it was it was definitely gutting but like if there was anyone that was going to be selected like i was just so so glad that it was you like obviously just rooting for you big time and i I think graham didn't train out of Leander, so like i didn't have that kind of relationship with like some of the guys who were like in the in the sculling squad at, at that point but like obviously like having seen you like come through um, from under 23s to to the senior team and just fighting and like, like literally knowing what happened like li- a year before with the boat and, and your back like I personally I couldn't be happier to like know that like you got that shot because I'm fully convinced that had that accident not happened you would have had that spot but like on your terms so maybe it's just sort of like a
0: way that the universe balanced out like the the yeah. misfortunes that happened Fentil I remember the first day I went into, like, actually, because the guys hadn't seen me. So I arrived late at nine. And then, um, I went and met the, the other three guys from the, from the course uh, like, at the course. So I went with David, Tanner, went and got my accreditation and went into the venue. And I remember bumping into Angus, Pete and Sam, who were the other three guys. And they just looked at me and started laughing. It was like, finally, I think they had, it was like a real relief for them that, that I'd arrived because they'd been rowing around with, with a, one of the feet rowers called uh called noddy and i think noddy had got a bit above his station and started trying to coach them from inside the boat it's like mate you're a sweeper you don't know you don't know what this should feel like (laughs) and um uh so i think they were quite relieved because we we only really i think i arrived on a on tuesday and uh and we raced on day for the heat so it's like we need to kind of crack on here where i get this get this boat shifting um you know we were like we made the final and we went through the repertoire to do it but when we when we we actually had a great race. Now, Rapha, and we—I remember during the race we were making calls about the the guys who earlier in the year were in the quad who didn't make it. So, Charles Cousins was meant to be in it earlier in the year, and his back really deteriorated, so he couldn't. And then Graham obviously had that in the the, t- the few days leading up to it, and kind of we wanted to do it for them as best as we could, and we had a great row, made the final, and were like, you know what, we were only—I don't know—two thousand of a length off Germany in the in the. Um, Repshaj, who were the olympic champions world champions and went on to actually win the event we turned up to the final thinking we can do this right we can we can absolutely do this turns out we couldn't <laughs> like but we we gave it a good crack
2: You pull. we spoke about it many times you pull hard for your mates you know and it's like as a coach it's something i tried to foster and like as an athlete um yes well there's a little tiktok of me saying it's done quite well like you know when it comes down uh you feel like you have to keep pulling when you know your mate's pulling for you and like yeah. that's when you lead like your best performances and when when you know and like for you guys to have to have six guys in that boat yeah. e- four, it's like-
1: exactly that's what it must have felt like in that refresh. there were like six six pairs of blades going in and, and
0: just powering the boat it, through it actually did it really did it was a quite special uh middle sort of middle thousand meters of that race and that's what we were what we we're thinking about awesome so coming back
1: from rio obviously like then you must have i imagine that wanted to take some break like from training like to to just rest and like prepare for the next season but like also i know what it's like like immediately your eyes will probably have been set on tokyo and and obviously knowing that you've done what like obviously made the a final like with the quad on like the last minute notice like with the team like changing so much during the year like you said there were like six eight guys up for contention with obviously the double you must have like probably definitely like felt really confident about like what was to come as well.
0: Yeah, well, actually, the, the first couple of months, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back because the year from break My Back to go to that was just, there was just so much happened. I was kind of like, you know what, I don't want to have such a up and down life. I just want to live a simple life and not a simple life, but like one that's a bit more steady and predictable. Yeah. Um, but then after a couple of months, I, I was like, yeah, you know what? I 100% want to go back. I know, I, I know we're good enough to win a medal in this squad. And um, I don't want to be a spare anymore. I really want to go back and be in the team on my terms. And um, had a pretty good, like, got back to training. I think I won the December trials, was feeling pretty good. And and our quad that summer was great. It was really fun. We, we got on, like, a house on fire, the four of us. We won Henley, got a record time, which still hasn't been beaten. So we'll hopefully keep that on for a little bit longer. Nice. And, uh, and ended up with a silver medal at the World Championships. So, like okay, that's a great start to the Olympia and, and felt like that if we can build on that, we'll we'll be in the medals, no problem. i frustratingly, I just was unbelievably frustrated the next couple of years because it felt like every time a boat did well in our sculling team, they ripped it up and tried to start again. And I was just like so confused by it because 2017, we won a silver medal, but quad never rode together again. It was like, oh, we'll just... um we won a silver medal and a bronze medal that year uh, with Tom Barris in the single and it felt like maybe they thought oh if we put those together we'll win a gold medal but why mess with something that's not broken right anyway the following year we had a quad that I think won the B final Angus and I raced in the double and we didn't we had a pretty bad final and we finished in fourth place I was like well you know let's just stick with something and then the following year again the boats were completely different it was like why why are we doing this why are we not just building on something and having a bit of predictability so although the olympiad started so well and we still won medals throughout each season like but we didn't at the one that mattered it kind of it wasn't there um but it was like the for me like i spoke already about that 2019 winter i was really struggling and kind of just out of sorts for me the pandemic was the biggest blessing that could have happened it was i was done with it i was like actually so fed up with rowing and um not enjoying it i've i felt like the training program was all wrong i felt like the intensity of the training program was was no longer we weren't doing what the program said we were just doing everything as hard as we could and it was because we were all pitted against each other all the time it was so competitive it was like a constant trial the the sessions that are called ut2 were never that everything was like i would i don't think i did a single ut2 session that season i really don't think i did unless i was sick and um but but i had to because if i was going slower the coach is like oh well that's not a very good performance but it's like this is a training measure not a performance measure but it was everything was a performance measure and that was a big problem i think and i think that's why i was performing so badly but the pandemic meant that we all had to turn off we had to go home. We didn't have coaches over our shoulders. We could do things a bit our way. And for me, I studied a bit. I read a lot about different sports and how they train and different, um, energy systems and training zones and pretty basic stuff, really, but stuff that we would just chucked away in our pursuit of, of beating each other and being competitive and training at home meant, okay, it was initially hard because the Olympics was canceled and we didn't know if it would happen. And, but once i confirmed it, I was like, well. I had COVID at home and then that gave me a license to kind of slowly get back into training because we, we didn't really know the long-term effect of COVID and, and you know no one even knew about long COVID yet, but we were worried about scarring in lungs and stuff. So um, I slowly got back into training, but then I kind of just thought, well, I'm going to be so strict on uh, a couple of things. So my heart rate on the long sessions, I'm, I'm not going to let it go above certain rate, whatever it means on most splitters. Even if... And it meant I was rowing slower than when I was a junior. But that's fine. The duration of training is what matters, I think, more. Actually. Yeah. If you can go a bit slower for a longer time, you're probably going to get, I, I think, a better outcome and you'll be able to do it repeatedly. Your heart doesn't know how hard you're pulling what the you Your cells... Yeah, your cells have no idea what spit you're pulling. It's ridiculous the thing they do. And it's ridiculous that, we, that every day you think you should be pulling exactly the same or progressing. Like, it's... it's you just need to... Listen to your body. Yeah, and, and if... Uh, and if you have nice markers like a heart rate, use it, right? But, but that's not what we've been doing. And I think um, as maybe a smaller guy in the team, I, I especially probably overstretched myself and to keep up. But but I didn't do that. I refused to. And I started to fall back in love with the sport because I was like, you know what? Training is so much more pleasant when not every single day feels like a test. And it meant on the days where I needed to test myself, I could. Um, so I came back into when, when we eventually were back in Caversham that September, I was really excited to be there. I was like, you know, this is fun. um I feel in good shape. I feel like when I want to perform, I can. I feel I was like in a better body composition as well. Like I, I think when when we were over pulling on the ergs and stuff, we were all a bit fatter because we don't use the energy systems in the right way. A proper UT two session is meant to be using fat as a fuel. UT one, at the moment you're out of that, you're using carbs as a fuel. Then you're not burning your body fat. I think we we had it. That's why. We, I think when you look at rows with a little bit of a rig like a little bit of a dodgy rig like most of us had i i certainly have now (laughs) um i think a lot of that was because we were pulling too hard on our sessions now this is i'm not a sports scientist but i read a lot so i kind of this is my theories um but i i didn't miss a single set a single day of training that year in up until the tokyo olympics i missed half of one weight session and that's it so by the end of the year i had the highest training mileage of anyone in the squad which was way different to previous years Mm -hmm. and I knew that I was in the form of my life so that having that pandemic actually for me was in terms of my rowing was a real blessing I I didn't feel like any more like I was hoping to get a seat I knew I was sure I was going to get a seat and it was like which seat in the boat would it be rather than am I going to be in it yeah Um, honestly it felt great to get selected for the Olympics in my own right rather than as a reserve like to actually be like it wasn't even it wasn't even a will i get selected anymore it was just kind of a formality and it felt so nice after the previous time to actually you know it was based on my performances
1: absolutely that confidence that you know which it's not about what i'm uh, what i'm gonna get a seat or like it's which seat am i gonna get that definitely fuels your performance big time because like belief plays such a huge part in like what you can like actually get out of yourself yeah. it's an
2: amazing feeling and then to hear yeah to hear you benefiting so much more and you know, we talked about for consistency over intensity and uh yeah. and consistency is just so important it's so important especially in a parent endurance sport like it's day after day after day putting getting a score on the board not going mad having a week off because
0: you're ill going mm-hmm. mad again if, if i was a coach i wouldn't even be recording the uh the like training zone results or or, or if i was i'd be recording it in a way where the other athletes can't see each other or something because it was i think it held us back big time yeah i really think it did i think it was stupid
2: i had a similar experience with with my time in the senior team and like uh for me again like sort of coming on the bottom we came in after 2012 so i came in with a group of quite a big fresh group so competing a lot and like yeah every session was competition and even there were times where we were you know we're told to back up oh don't worry you know it's just a chill 12k or whatever and then i remember one particular where we were told like yeah it's just it's just a ut2 session and like ollie cook finished early and put a score on the board and like jürgen came down and just like looks at the board and like loudly in front of everyone was like oh ollie what's yeah. such a good score 149 yeah. so then you'll want to do that. yeah just to like make everyone realize that although although you know someone said this is a chill one actually we're still racing nice. and like for me like and that training intelligence it was actually rob dancey sort of had a word with me and was like tom like you need to look at the training week and like identify a couple of sessions mm-hmm. that you want to show them. Exactly. I mean, obviously, some of them are really easy. Half hour, half hour on Wednesday, pieces on the Saturday. So you can't be trying to beat everyone in every single session. Right. And it sounds really, it sounds really like obvious now. But when you're at the, when you feel like you're like slipping off, maybe the bottom of your dream, and you're, you're sitting there and like, no,
0: every right. And also, you have to look, feel like you feel like you have to be looked to be looking. You have to look like you're trying really hard. Mm. Otherwise, they're like, oh, he's lazy. But, but when I read about all this stuff, it was like, actually, if you train a little bit too hard in those uh, longer or lower intensity sessions, you're not even getting the benefit from the session. Mm. It's benefiting you more to try less hard. That's the thing that like, makes me a bit sad that I spent seven years doing it the wrong way. And no wonder my 2K Argo score hardly improved while I was at Cavisham. No wonder my 30-minute score was better when I was training here. Because here, I was encouraged to polarize it really, really well there was kind of encouraged not to um they didn't tell me not to but you weren't you were it was encouraged to keep on pushing yeah you can read yeah you can read the bible of the room yeah and if you if you were not if you were one of the weaker guys and you were backing off you'd be out the door i feel like
2: i feel like the system you know sort of controversial to say like potentially i'm the guy who sort of didn't quite make it and you know so what, what does his opinion matter but um I feel like the system works incredibly well for, like, hard-wearing athletes. Yeah. Like, it's a really tough program. And if you're a tough, if you're a hard-wearing athlete and you can, and you can manage that training load, you will go to the Olympics and you will compete for them for a medal. And ultimately, like, that's what we all wanted. So yeah. that's the program we wanted. But again, same for me, like, having spent two years in the senior team, came back, fished my career at Leander. Again, like, then getting, like, a 2K PB, like, outside of the team. Yeah. And being like, why is this? Yeah. like yeah for me personally like being able to like change things a little bit obviously my bat I struggled a lot with my back in my career so being able to like manage that look after it and stuff like it was interesting and like part of that and I did quite a big Erg score and people heard like we went out to Essen, and Pete Shep was like oh Tom you know I've seen yeah. you know a good score whatever you know and like some people kind of like perked up again and I was like oh am I going to have another go I was like, I just for me like I think I put my body in the ground already yeah. you know? I'd know I'd found my point I'm, I'm happy I went for it but yeah like yeah. again like this like talking about this stuff I think it's really interesting and like if you know like you said if seven years ago you could have listened to this podcast with oh, three other guys I'm talking be about faster yeah like
0: hopefully maybe there's people out there who can who can listen yeah. to your advice yeah I'm sure i would be in so much faster and all the literature points towards it it's just it just seems counterintuitive because in your head you think if like I always if I always uh, push like ask for more of myself i'll be better but maybe you need to flip it and be like i'm asking more of myself in a different way mm. sometimes maybe you're asking more of yourself by by resisting the temptation moving mm-hmm. to go for more you know mm. and that was it was more about discipline and in my last year i was so much more disciplined with everything i was so much more disciplined with um like sort of fueling and recovery and stuff during sessions like i spent a lot more money on uh supplements and stuff mm. like of course making sure it's the right sis ones that we, we knew were informed sport and batch tested and blah 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 but I like, and I was not believe I was not going to leave anything to chance in that last year because I knew, even like a year before the Tokyo Olympics, I knew that that was going to be my last race. Mm. I, I I had I didn't plan to continue after that, and um, I kind of so I wanted to make sure we sure as hell we got it right, and thankfully we did. Awesome. So how was that like going into into that Olympics?
1: Like, because obviously it was still very, very much COVID invested, like in terms of you didn't have like a proper Olympic village or um, I've been told no, I,
0: I haven't we, been we there we were still in the Olympic village though right most like it was still a full Olympic village and it was still really fun just everyone had to wear masks indoors and outdoors and there was lots of COVID protocol the thing was we were, we just had this massive fear of ke- having a positive test mm. especially when the tests aren't they weren't 100% accurate right mm-hmm. it was like 96 or something so false positives could be a thing um, but we were being tested all the time so going into the Olympics was like was just another thing you added into your routine like right COVID tests and and just staying away from people as best you could but going into it we were fast like we've we've won a um, bronze medal at the last world cup behind Netherlands and Italy okay fair enough they're very good crews and we were like about to then go on altitude camp we had a very good we had a tough camp in Italy where I don't think the hotel served enough food to be honest like it sounds stupid but like I was hungry a lot of the time and lost about four kilos in that camp and by the end of the camp we were we did some pieces and we just we were kind of we weren't that good and we started overcomplicating things and you know started pulling each other apart a bit and getting a bit annoyed at each other so I remember the four of us without our coach had a chat and we said when we get up the mountain to Silvretta we just need the four of us just to row just to row not trying to do any exercises not make too many calls just like the the more sort of 2k legs that we can do without a word the better so we can just ingrain the strongest rhythm and that's all we thought about that camp was just are we feeling each other in the boat are we moving together just but not talking about it not thinking about where we're placing our blade or squaring or any of that just are we getting that push together is the recovery together and that was so simple and it was the best camp because and and sometimes angus would try and make a few calls and everyone would be like right And then you get Harry or Tom or someone say, right, no more calls this leg. And it was like, because actually we were on something good and we just needed to ingrain it. A couple of hundred K or or maybe half, 500 K of rowing up a mountain, just really getting that same stroke in. That's what we needed. And we came back, went to, got to Cavisham, did a 2K piece down the track uh, a couple of days after we got home. And did like 538 or something at Cabersham. I was like, okay, pretty fast on a flattish day. Pretty fast. Uh, it's re- very quick. And, we were, it was, and it was fast, right? It was like, okay, that's, and that was in a time trial. We had, maybe we had a breath of a tailwind. And that was like a time trial where they'd said to us to just go flat pace. And then we did a full team speed order, like maybe the day before we, the day before we flew to Tokyo. And again, and this one was a completely flat day. And again, 5.38, it was like, okay, that is fast for a flat day at Cavisham. We'll be very happy with that. I, mean, I don't so, know what you're talking about wanting to go in an eight. That is eight times. It well, Exactly. And it, so we we actually, I think, I think we may have been the top percentage going into Tokyo from the squad, which I don't think many people would have known or expected because we're scholars, right, in the quad and everyone's like, oh, the eight and the four have been winning the World Cups. So, like, okay, whatever we so we turned up thinking we turned up in Tokyo thinking, you know, we're we're on here and then did the heat and we came third. Um was pretty disappointing. Okay, Netherlands won and they were very good, but then Australia had beaten us and we'd not raced Australia all year because of COVID, they didn't come to the World Cups. So this was like a bit of a spanner in the works, didn't expect them to be good. And then uh through the other heat went um Poland and uh Estonia, I think. No, not Estonia, Poland and Italy of course and um, which meant okay we've got to do the charge again so there's six crews two spots only through to the final. Now we'd all expected Tokyo to be this massive pr- tailwind because of all the footage we've seen before mm. but the charge day was a was pretty solid headwind and that wasn't what we were expecting and we weren't a massive crew we were all about 90 kilos or under um, and we were really hoping for a tailwind we were, we'd planned for a tailwind we'd expected it we knew it was going to be rough but we were hoping a tailwind and um, but that I was so nervous for that refresh I was honestly the most nervous I've ever been there was a typhoon coming towards Tokyo at the time and I was actually hoping it was going to hit so that we didn't have to race because based on heats results we'd have made the final if they just you know used those results so um, I was actually hoping it would, like in my mind I was so afraid of how much I was going to have to bury myself in this race or how much all four of us were going to have to bury ourselves but we did and we turned up and we just took that race by the scruff of the neck, led it, won it. Felt felt like we didn't quite have to use every gear in the last bit, maybe 99% of it. But then the Typhoon hit, which was perfect because we'd done a heat, got, didn't quite get it right. We'd rectified it in the Repechage and then the Typhoon meant we had an extra day off between the Repechage and the final. So in our heads our psychology was kind of like we've actually had an extra chance to race we've improved during this regatta. all those idiots that went straight through the heat whatever what, what have they done they've just sat around for a couple of days and now they have to sit around for an extra day we've we're not even going to be tired anymore because we've had a, a whole other day to recover this is perfect so we actually felt like going through the repertoire was like our superpower and we had an extra day's train i remember if we did we went out training and had like a big fat bungee on the boat on the typhoon day like we were doing some it was we were overtaken by the German double, actually. We <laughs> were <laughs> four of us and um in this headwind it was so strong and um with a bungee too. But Tom Barris really wanted to do it and so it was like, okay, we'll just let him have his way as long as he pulls hard off to start tomorrow. And so when we turned up on final Day, it was a totally different vibe. Like we was I was so nervous for the charge For the final, I was excited, just ready, and it was we turned up, it was a tailwind, perfect, exactly what we'd been expecting for four years. And we knew what we wanted to do. We knew that we could be fast out of the blocks. In training, we were always fast out of the blocks. We just hadn't really shown it in racing for whatever reason. And as a, as a crew, we we agreed with our coach, like, whatever we do from stroke one, we are gonna back each other. We're gonna go out hard. We're gonna really take the race by the scruff of the neck. We're gonna we're going to try and lead it and we'll do what it takes to lead it and um if we come sick it's still sick in the olympics it's still really good and and if we really go for it maybe we can do something really special here i, I would never forget like we put the boat on the water and we went off in pairs rowing and uh maybe just doing legs only and the first stroke tom barris absolutely booted the head out of that boat i was like hang on a minute where's this guy been all the last few months like it was like something he had not done at all i was like okay this is this is different and we did a couple of racing starts during the warm-up and again it was like i had this absolute beast behind me who i don't know for the previous few months he was always strong but this was a new level and when we went off the start in that final it was just like right stroke one stroke two after second stroke two i was like this is a fast start and you just could feel that there was just nothing lost it was just going and um yeah it was crazy like i've watched the race back and didn't appreciate how much was going on during the time different crews catching crabs and this and that um to be honest on a rough day like that if there was someone i'd have put money on catching a crab it would have been angus and he didn't so like <laughs> I you know i I could have like guaranteed you he'd have caught a crab on a day like that at, tra- at home, but maybe he's a game day performer, but it was just manic, like after a minute or two, kind of looked to the right and was like, "Okay, we're winning, uh great, and then just after five hundred meters, like the Italy caught a massive boat stopper just as they had taken the lead, and to be honest, I thought Italy were likely to win the race, and they screwed it up then right that was another charge for us i saw the stroke rate come up again like our stroke rate was about two above what we normally raced at for that whole final so normally about 36 was didn't go below 38 in that race again at halfway look to the right we're ahead and 1500 meters that's the right pretty much level with the netherlands this is great because in the previous races we had a lot better last 500 than them so we'll we can win we can win this I felt pretty good as well because I was focusing so much on just getting my blades out and like rowing well. Hadn't really thought about pushing hard for the last couple of minutes. So it was just like this just, just do a nice shape. And then <laughs> and maybe but I, I suppose the other three were <laughs> but they get not. lot. Um but as we got into the last two hundred and fifty meters, you could feel it start to close up. And it's a horrible feeling in a rowing race when people are catching you up because it's nice when you're pushing away and you can see them going into the distance. But it's the opposite when you can just see these folks catching you, it's rough, it's kind of frantic there's bits of splash and this and that going on and um i remember the last sort of 10 strokes thinking this is my last 10 strokes i'm going to do a british throwing this we're so close we can win a a medal here and i remember just heaving on it not really thinking about how i rode but just some real weight behind that spoon and we crossed the line and just heard a beep and then like beep 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 and it's like i don't know i think i can only speak for myself but i think even though like, I'm an optimist, I think deep down there's we all have this negativity. And initially it was like, we're screwed up. We've nailed this race almost perfectly and we've just finished four. And I was sure that was what happened until a moment later I heard a big roar from behind. looked up and saw the scoreboard and saw GBR next to number two and I went absolutely mental. I've watched this video, of it. I, we went mental in that boat. Apart from Tom Barris who was actually for once exhausted because he's tried from first stroke rather than halfway through the race. Um, it was, it was the most awesome feeling. Like our team has been trying to do that for a long time. run a win a medal in the quad at the Olympics. And, you know, I remember watching them in London finish fifth. We finished fifth in Rio 2008. They didn't qualify, but there's been like glimmers of, of a good quad coming along for, for years and great athletes, like athletes stronger than me who, who didn't quite manage to do it. And, um, it was, Was the most amazing feeling when, when we realised that we'd actually done it and and went and got our medals and and all of that stuff. So I think in in the uh, interview it was important for us to sort of shout out about the athletes and from our team and the ones who didn't make it for Tokyo, the ones who had been in the previous quads, who were we were sort of standing on the shoulders of definitely. Awesome! It's awesome to hear that it's that it's that good. Do you want it to be, you know, you, Man, you, you want it to feel like what it felt, feels like, like I, uh, firstly, it felt like, I feel like it wouldn't have felt any better if we'd won mm. because I, uh, to me, like, we were hoping, we were thinking we can, silver would be like the best case scenario, right? And, but we were thinking we could, we'd probably win a bronze mm. if we nailed our race. Um, so it felt like we'd won to be on any medal and I'm sure it felt the same in third or second, but it feels like every single bit of, um, mm. there's nothing feeling wrong like it's absolute elation like normally there's some some bit of discomfort in your life like something's um something's kind of bugging you and right now it's like i've been wearing these shoes a little bit long today and they're just a little bit like you know you just kind of want to take them off there was an absence of any of that it was just a feeling of absolute this is good just complete yeah absolute happiness right it was so cool it was so so cool
1: Especially like this is awesome to hear that you've nailed the start like when it mattered the most, like at the Olympic final like right from the first first moment, just boot the boat booted off, got up to high speed and like probably the the adrenaline from leading the race, like not dropping below like thirty eight, which is like higher than what you normally would have rated. Like I was just I was watching that race live. Um it was it was during the night because obviously like Tokyo's oh, like
0: like two thirty in the morning. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. Like, I was just so so happy just to like see you, obviously win a medal and and the British team as well because like it's been a tough Olympics to like definitely know that like someone stood the ground for the team as well and it's not all been bad like that's it's just been amazing. So you didn't actually like really probably
0: get a chance to like probably enjoy the the rest of the Olympics in the village. No, not at all. We flew home the next morning, so I was oh. we were watching the. Lightweight women's double and the women's pair from the airport lounge the following day. And then the the men's eight and uh, Vicky in the single, we were watching from home, which was super weird. Like to be back in England watching that in the middle of the night, which is, we knew was the morning. That like, was super, super weird. One thing that was very strange as well was um, we didn't know how everyone else had gone on that day because we'd been focusing on our thing. And the race before us was the men's four, which was... Oh, we all... Well, we all found out later that they'd finished fourth, but we assumed that they'd come second because we just thought that's that's probably where they would come. Like the Australians were really strong, and when we were warming up, we could see them coming through in second place. And we came into the the medals area, and um, and they were there at the being interviewed at the time. So I assumed, well, if they're being interviewed now, they must have got a medal. But actually, so we went. I went over to them, and I feel. I felt so bad about it afterwards because I assumed that they got a medal. I kind of like bounded over to them all happy and actually, you know, they were being interviewed with very disappointed. us, uh, yeah. And uh, I wish that I could have been, wish I'd known and could have been more tactful than I was because I don't think they really probably even noticed me that much. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just had a bit of, it was a weird, weird, weird thing that because like when you're getting exactly what you want and it turns out, well, I didn't realize but it turns out they done completely the opposite it was it was a tough thing and they you know really really top athletes who on another day and that's the thing with it all it's like on another day it would be different but it's not another day you can't you can't do those races again and you're saying it's so close now and it's
2: it's so close and and actually um what it takes in the final like what you did what it takes is to risk something yeah to rate a little bit higher than you ever did to do that start that you've never to actually like roll the dice and risk and that means you might come out on top but that also means you might not you might not get it at all and and that's it and and,
0: in the four they they took a risk too Mm. they really tried to go for gold had they raced for silver they would have got silver i'm sure yeah yeah i mean i came up with with a couple of those
2: boys i messaged them after after that and i was yeah and it was like at the end of the day i remember when rick edgerton told me after um after beijing that they didn't really challenge for gold and and he was like we didn't do what we came there to do like yeah we got a medal but like he was gutted that they hadn't actually challenged and then obviously in london yeah they got they ended up with the worst medal but he was happier because they really they tried, tried to yeah. go for it so i sort yeah. of said to those boys at the end of the day like you don't go into olympic final to not fucking try no but and like no matter what anyone else says when there was things like you went there and you went for it and like you can't can't do any more than that yeah win or lose
1: yeah. And for a lot of those athletes as well, they will get another chance to race. Like obviously a lot of them who you probably race in Tokyo with, they're going for Paris. For you, that was that was the end of, of your international rowing. So how did you find the transition afterwards or like what was it like homecoming with a medal as well?
0: Well, it was it was awesome. Like it was it was like the best thing. It was so cool to come home with this thing that, you know, everyone was so excited about it. It was it was weird because, like I said before, like the team didn't get the results they won that we wanted as on the whole, and it meant that most of the sort of chat around rowing was negative. And it's a shame because everyone, you know, they are top athletes, and they, you know, from some countries, one boat even qualifying the Olympics is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And for many many other countries to get people in the A final is amazing. Well, all of our crews were in the A final, apart oh yeah, every single crew was apart from oh sorry, apart from the women's eight. Every other every crew was in the A final, pretty much, right? So it's like the, his, the what, curse the curse of success, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's like we you know, it's it's greed, it's arrogance almost to expect that we should be always should always be winning when everyone's there trying to win. Yeah. Everyone there is really good and they're trying to win. And we should be celebrating when we do win rather than like vilifying people if they don't. Mm-hmm. And um it was that was that was weird, but no, I it was awesome. But we came back and we raced at Henley or three of us. Angus was at a wedding, but we. I was captain at Leander at the time. And once Henley was announced to be after the Olympics, I said to all the athletes in the team, you know, it'd be really great. I know it's tough and I know you want to have holidays and stuff, but it'd be really great if we could just stick it out for two more weeks and do Henley. And when I say stick it out, I mean, turn up and do Henley. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't care, but the more of us we can do, the better. So I said, i would lead by example a bit. And I wanted want to do it. Now, Angus, Angus was at a wedding, so one of the younger lads, Rory Harris from here, came and rode with us. He was great. Um, so we kind of came back. We did have a couple of nights out, but then we were like, right, well, we just keep keeping all right shape because we're going to have to do it again. You don't, you don't <laughs> want to embarrass yourself. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to come back for the Olympics <laughs> with a silver medal and then not win a Henley, right? So we came back and it was hard. It was it had a, We did have a hard race against an Irish crew, um, but we, we thankfully came away with a, a medal. But, But I guess... You know, I took a few months to figure out what, well, not to figure out to confirm that I didn't want to continue. I didn't think I did want to, but and and if I was going to continue, some things were going to have to be different in how the team runs stuff, and those things aren't different. So for me, that's was kind of game like that sealed the deal. Like, sorry, Um, Susie, Um, (laughs) yeah. For for me, those a few of those things were like non-negotiables. If I wanted to continue, I wanted there to be a bit more autonomy, a bit more flexibility. In how things are and a bit more um specialized training program to or individualized training programs, which you know it was made quite clear that there wasn't going to be so I thought well that's me uh, that's fine I'm delighted I've had a great time I want to stop um and then it's like where do you start if, if what's next like, I've got a degree, but kind of what do you want to do how like what do you want to do what what's your priority and I found a job I did this one job for about eight months was fine. Uh, I did a lot of, and I started speaking at a lot of events. So people would invite me to come and talk at companies, or talk at schools, or rowing clubs. And you know, I've had an eventful time rowing, so I have quite a lot of insights and stories to share. And um, you know, if I'm doing it at a dinner or something, I've got quite a lot of funny stories which I won't have on the internet, but <laughs> I, <will, laughs> I will share in person. Um, which I'm very happy, you know, are are quite good ones. And so I did a bit of that, but then I f- I found. After a while, actually, there was a bit of tough time of transition because to start with, it was great. In the first year, easy. It was like, you know, I, I finished on my terms. I got what I wanted. I finished still loving the sport. Like many rowers, I think, have stopped and, and don't want to do it anymore. I love rowing. I, I still go rowing all the time. Um, that was great. But then after a while, I started to realize, like, hang on a minute, I don't really know quite what my balance is in life. Like when you were training, it was very strict. Your day was pretty full and and the time that wasn't full it was obvious that weren't meant to be filling it yeah it's rest that's where you rest and you just eat well whereas then it became like right well what's a a normal amount of steaks get each night what's a normal amount of food to eat what's and you you notice your body start changing a bit like sometimes you get a bit bigger sometimes a bit smaller your muscles are weaker that was a bit weird how much is a normal amount of drink uh, alcohol to drink like all these sort of things you don't know normal because you've not been living normal Mm. and 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 sort of for me, it took a bit of. I had a bit of a tough, a bit of a wobble, like about the people in your life as well. Like, who are your closest friends? Um, who are the people you care about? Who Who do you want to surround yourself with? And um, where do you want to be? All these things that were already uh, we kind of decided for you for a long time. It took a bit of like learning of what's what's my normal. So that was a bit of a wobble. But now I feel I'm kind of out the other end of that and feeling pretty pretty good in my life i think yeah. it's funny like you yeah. when you go on training camps you don't even choose who you will with yes yeah, you know, sure it's always anything yeah. absolutely yeah. nothing's your choice yeah, yeah. i used to long to like camps were great but halfway through i'd kind of be like i would like to just cook one meal for myself because then i'm choosing what it is even though the food was great it was like i wasn't complaining about it and there was always something i'd like it was kind of i just wanted something to be in my hands yeah yeah, yeah. that's
2: interesting and then yeah i mean like you said like that's a lot of those things is that people get to grips with in their teens or when they go to uni. But yeah, if you like, see you've gone straight from junior to a under- notorious senior
0: team, yeah. you've skipped that bit. Yeah. Like I've also like lived away from home and didn't did things, but sort of the having free will, free will and less structure yeah. to things was, it was like to start with, I went too far and I was like, Oh, well I'm, I'm going to go out this mate like all the time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to eat all this. And I was like, hang on a minute. After a while I was like, well, i'm drinking too much i'm eating too much i'm spending too much everything was a bit too much and then i, I was like oh, apart from i was not sleeping enough really and um it kind of took a bit yeah it took some time to kind of get around that and but yeah now it's good but i think just for people who are watching this who are in the team if you're or any of them that are still watching right now uh, <laughs> like i think it's just important to keep an eye on what what you're gonna be doing afterwards and and not like okay of course think about what career you want to do like that's that's the obvious bit but thinking about like what how do i want my life to look and what's um just being a bit aware of those sort of things because it took me by surprise i thought i'd be the last person to to struggle Mm. with it as well i think everyone
2: does it some in some way like loss of purpose loss of self
1: yeah Difficult. You don't know what your interests are because it's just been rowing the entire time. You don't know what you're not naturally good at outside of rowing. Yeah. Maybe you're an artsy person. Maybe you want to do a bit of science. Like it, you're just lost. You're just sort of like wandering in the dark, just figuring out. Like I been thinking, yeah, just like um, just like
2: thinking like every hour of my day that was involved in rowing, yeah. And thinking like what whilst I finish like next week, like I'm gonna have all of those. Like, I'm gonna have like another thirty hours. Of, yeah, like spare. I was like, I'm gonna do. I'm going to try. I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to go play Rugby. Okay. Like, I'm going to do all these things. And then it just fills up. Basketball. Yeah, you're right. I think I actually, maybe. a lot of times <laughs> you actually have less time now yeah. and you're rowing that. Yeah. I remember I went back to the team about I was doing the eggs at Cavisham, and I bumped into Will Satch and he was like, Oh, how's it going? Yeah. You know, like, how's life after rowing? Like, is it fun, like, doing a, doing all sorts of stuff? And I was like, it, it is great, but you know, it is busy and I'm working on my own business and all sorts of things. And I do catch myself sometimes on a Wednesday thinking, I wish i just had.'" that.
0: yeah Yeah, well i said i would i wish i just had a half hour to go and hurt the things i miss like i miss of course i miss feeling as fit and strong as i used to be because i'm never going to be that again right and that's weird because you're used to being able to like if someone had said to you when you're an athlete "Oh, go and run a marathon now you would be like all right you just go and do it it's annoying but i can do it yeah yeah, it's like or or i miss like yeah i really miss being able to have a nap during the middle of the day that was great um (laughs) i miss yeah having a half day after like yeah you'd have a very hard session on a wednesday but having the afternoon off like wouldn't mind that yeah. um but now i have i can take holiday when i want to right and i can uh you know if i want to have a little bit of a later night that's fine it's not like my whole next day's training is be screwed i'll just be a little bit tired when i wake up whatever at the weekends i can well I t- when i first started working it didn't even feel like i needed holiday because i got two days every weekend which felt really novel yeah um there are definitely some really exciting things about not being an athlete but of course i miss like like i said i'd love to be lining up in lucerne this weekend and being in and among it in and among it in the men's quads like it's great feeling yeah but also you forget how hard it is yeah like that's well i got reminded at Henny last week it's bloody hard it's yeah. bloody hard it hurts
1: <laughs> <laughs> it hurts a lot definitely yeah i remember beachy like saying one one time he subbed into uh, like a ladies plate after He's been like not rowing for a few years. Matt Beachy, Leander Club, head coach. And then uh, you just said one thing. It was like, I forgot how much it hurts. That's that's yeah, it. It's hard. It you hard.
2: jump on the ergo once twice a year just to remember why you don't want to do it anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, I haven't been on an ergo in a in a while. I'm I'm still I'm still avoiding that. You can just do it all a lot easier now, like that's thing. You can still just go on there and just take it easy. And I think like one of the things I like to share with um with especially young people when I talk about rowing and talk about my experiences with them is like or or, or what well, I, I guess I would kind of end end this with my, my last important thing of saying is like I've had a great time rowing like I said uh if I could be 20 again I'd, I'd do it all over Well, in fact if I could be 10 again and live the last 19 years of from learnings row and and do it I'd do it all over again it was so much fun I think like what I say to people uh, like a school or something If you can have like one tenth as much fun as I've had rowing, you're going to have an awesome time because it's a great sport. Like you, I've made the best friends doing it. Like I've, I've been to amazing places. I've pushed myself to places I never thought or didn't know about. Um, I've met this great community of people who aren't necessarily my friends, but like people that you know around from all these different clubs and different uh, boat manufacturers or different um, sort of. Areas still within the sport. All the volunteers—they're so lovely. It's so cool and so helpful. And uh, I think we've got a really great bunch of people in the sport. I think we have like people who want to do good, but also want to have fun while doing it. Mm-hmm. And I w- i feel so fortunate, so fortunate to have had my time in in the sport. And yeah, would uh, encourage anyone—you know, anyone that's here thinking, "Oh, it's a bit hard at the moment," thinking of sacking it off—don't. It's really cool. It just find a way to make it work for you it doesn't have to be a billion sessions a week rowing can be in so many different ways it doesn't have to be aiming for the olympics it can be it can be uh you know going out for a drink and then having you got going out for a row uh for half, half an hour and then going to the pub you know it can be anything but like it's a great place to be
1: definitely and like you even like just rowing in the autumn like it's just so beautiful like you said just to go down on the henley stretch and just see the mist and, and just enjoy
0: the flat water some of the things we see rowing like some of those scenes like next time you go out rowing just forget about the speed for a, for a row just enjoy okay there's a bit of a caveat because you need it to be a nice enough day but <laughs> but like enjoy your surroundings enjoy some of the things you hear and see and like Smell even like apart from maybe the Thames at the moment, but like, <laughs> uh, but enjoy, yeah, enjoy that. It's a lot, it's a beautiful sport. Awesome, thanks so much. Joe. This has been awesome. I think we got to go with the quick fire questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Please. Just to finish up, if you don't mind, um, what's your favorite rowing venue that you've been at, trained at, visited at, or raced at?
0: Hmm. Uh, I think Varese, yeah, I loved it in Varese, really, really loved it there. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful awesome
1: um if you were to do one regatta again when you're like 60 what would it be
0: and why a regatta again when i was when i'm 60 do i have to be 60 years old doing it or do i do i go back to being fit
1: uh imagine yourself being fit but like it's it's like the sentiment i like the one to go back the one
0: you do again it has to be tokyo 20, 20, 20. it was amazing uh, like the whole thing around it we had uh, the four of us got on so well it was just great fun and the racing was tough. We got what we wanted, but really, I'd I'd love to even just be sitting around in our little apartment with the four of us. It was a great fun. Yeah,
2: uh, and then the one I like to ask if you could go back to if you could travel back in time now to the the kids, the age you were when you first fell in love with Ryan when you really were hooked. What little piece of advice would you give that kid? Um,
0: you know what? I'd probably say think about pushing with your legs rather than pulling with your body because i uh, because i was all about trying to get like i don't know i just wanted to work hard and i i was i always tugged on it quite a bit and i if i could have just done that a little bit differently not take away the tug but push the push the legs too a little bit earlier i think i'd have been even faster. there you go awesome
1: one last question uh who's your rowing idol and why like the person you've looked up to the most during your career
0: um the most. I have several, right? Uh several is good enough. I hate to say this because I work for him now and it's really annoying, but Alan Campbell was was amazing, right? And just dogged and just he would go for it and just never leave anything on the water. But really when I was when I was growing up, like people like Pete Reed and Alex Gregory were really inspirational because they were they were rowing. They were winning gold medals. They were just—you know—they were the sort of people you'd see on posters or interviews of, and and you couldn't really get away from them. If you watched rowing, you, it was them, yeah, right. And then, of course, Cuff and Granger too, because that was just cool. Her winning the um, gold medal in London was like the most inspiring thing I've seen in rowing.
1: Awesome, like Jack. Thank you so so much for um, for coming on the podcast. Like I've really enjoyed listening to your story and just be able to like bounce ideas off and off and just like explore some topics and I think it's also really important to like share the knowledge and also share how fun rowing can be because I think one of the premises for starting this podcast was the fact that rowing doesn't get enough recognition outside of the sport there's not enough spotlight on it and I think if more people would find it it would be more likely that they will catch the bug and also enjoy the sport and the community and keep growing and and hopefully they keep expanding and it can draw more people in so Again, it's been it's been yeah. awesome.
0: Well, how about like people watching this? Why don't you uh, try and bring a friend, right? Or or speak to a friend that doesn't row and and, and say, why don't you give it a go? Like, why not? Yeah, try of a lot. It's a
2: wicked sport. Yeah. We have it.
0: We have and, 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 and and maybe anyone that might be watching that is in charge of a club. Why don't we uh, try and have a policy of bring a friend and have an, another learn to row group for friends of members of the club? That'd be great, wouldn't it? Like, mm-hmm. we will. Yeah. know exactly. so there's lots more to it about having space for all these people in the clubs, but no, we can make rowing a bigger and more diverse sport.
1: Yeah, like you even like some, you know, Saturday afternoon barbecues and, and that type of thing. Cool. Well, obviously, um really appreciate your time. If people do want to like book you out for private speeches or or to go and like do some storytelling yeah. like where the stories that we
0: can't show on a yeah. if you want to get the real yeah. so, yeah. juicy yeah. bits i can give the real gothic <laughs> but you've got to pay for that right <laughs> mm. <laughs> so yeah so i'm very happy to to speak to all sorts of audiences um and i very experienced in it now as well um the best way to contact me is either well best is to email me at jack.beaumont at olympian.org otherwise you can find me on uh twitter or instagram for pretty easily as well
1: Awesome, like your Instagram's handle's already attached in the video, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, wicked, thanks for great. Right. I been- no, really appreciate it, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, it's been a pleasure. Awesome.
1: Awesome, so on that note, easy there, the music.